Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Three hours of uh, information, education, and hopefully a little uh, fun along the way. Our goal on the program is to give you the tools you need to go create a healthier, happier life. Welcome to the program. There's so much going on in the world, and yet... uh, You know, last thing you need is just more news. Come on! We need a little information. What are we supposed to do with all this news? We've got a great show giving you some tools. Have have any of you been watching A.D. the Bible? A.D. the Bible. Today we're going to be talking with a a historian. Remember, A.D. the Bible is... The Bible continues. The Bible continues. There we go. Because interesting thing about the Bible, I thought it always was continued. Well... The same people who produced this uh, series of of shows produced another one called the Bible. This is the Bible, so they uh, have to. They can't call it the Bible too. Yeah, they can't. Call, <laughs> yeah, Bible. Yeah, Bible uh, episode three, episode four. They'll start episoding it. Bible Attack of the Clones. See that won't work. It's it's an interesting thing because apparently the Bible sells on some level. Yes, do you buy that? But then, are people watching it? It depends. Is this one that you go, like, binge watch? This doesn't seem like something you just I don't know. have to watch 12 episodes in a row. But it also does seem like a really huge endeavor. And it helps out a network that may or may not have programming for that hour of the evening on a Sunday. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's going to be good. We've, we've got an expert that's going to talk about how, how, how does it look historically. Because that's one of the big problems, too. I don't know if you guys have noticed this. But people are different, you know, religiously. They all have a different view. No way. Uh, One Bible. Okay. Many different views. Many different versions of the same Bible. Yeah. So it's kind of scary because you start doing a show on the Bible and you might, you know, tick people off. Maybe. So we'll get into that a little bit uh, later. Also, we're going to talk about uh, petty etiquette of discrimination, how social media platforms may be calling for a new etiquette. Did you hear about the guy that in his obituary they basically told people, yeah. whatever you do, like, don't vote for Hillary Clinton? I was going to try to work that in yesterday somewhere. But you read the, the obituary. It's you know your normal names the kids. Here's yeah. the life sketch Love of children. the person. <laughs> and the very last line, in lieu of flowers, please do not vote for Hillary Clinton. <laughs> But then it, so others are like, oh, yeah, for sure, I won't vote for Hillary Clinton. Now people are like commenting on the obituary board at the cemetery or yeah. whatever, the mortuary. And um, what's he They're like, I can't believe you'd use politics and death at a time. Yeah. And I'm thinking, it's a flipping obituary. You don't go comment that's, that's, on someone's obituary. That's the internet. Yesterday, that's why we need a new Yesterday, medical. we had the, the BYU engineers who created the wheelchair. Yeah. Fourth, he was a three-year-old yeah. with a, a muscular uh, degenerative yeah. disease, 
And I went and looked at a couple of the national sort of blogs and stuff that covered the story. And you go through and people are like, this is great. This is awesome. Look at the smile on those kids' faces. Yeah. And then there's a guy that comes in and goes, they should have made it out of something else. Wah, wah, wah. That's wah, low wah, quality wah. material. And I go, oh, give me a break. See, we need a, there's an etiquette. We need a new set of rules for how you handle social media and chat rooms. Right? Absolutely. Today, this is where we're going to do it because – Everybody knows, right, James? Um, everybody knows that this is the source of etiquette and propriety right here on this show. Yeah. We should make all the rules. We should make wedding rules for how we attend weddings, okay. who we have to what events See, at weddings. I like the run in, congratulate whoever yeah, got married. You like and the run in and out. out. We yeah. call that. Yeah. I call you that. You want to show a, up. and I'm going to camp out. Yeah. I'm going to be there. It's, it's going to be an all-day event with me and the birds all. I've got to do – do you have any idea how busy I am? I've got to do a PowerPoint by the, your wedding. It's big. I've, I've got to write a toast. Mm. I've got to you know, reformulate the tango dance in my mind so I know what I'm doing. Choreograph, yeah. I've got to get my, uh, I've got to get my outfit, as my wife would say. My outfit? Got to get my outfit. I got a lot going on. Yeah, you have a lot to do before the wedding. Busy. It's like the busiest wedding I think I've ever been to. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. What are you doing, James? Because I'm killing myself. You look like you're just like vegging. Well, that's the thing. I just kind of sit back and let everyone else kind of take take the reins. I'm telling you. I just have to show up. Yeah. Like well. Put a ring on my finger and I'm done, you know? That's good for you. It's great. We wish you the best of luck. But again, we're going to bring – we're going to change the world's etiquette right here on the show. Don't just in and out. Don't dine and dash at a wedding. Well, it's not dine and dash because dine and dash you is you out. don't pay for your your food. I, I will be very – Are you paying for your food? I might. I think at the truck you have to pay. Or we'll just go somewhere else and eat. You know what I might do is go somewhere else and bring it to the reception. Oh, there. That's right. Just like go to Wendy's or Arby's, pick up some food for the family, bring them all, and then just eat it there. Mm-hmm. Would you be okay with that? Yeah, of course. I mean, if you're the one giving the keynote address, might as well be able to bring your own Wendy's. <laughs> it's just, it's just the Wendy's, way it should be. Wendy's. By the way, that is what I ate on my honeymoon night because we didn't eat the food at our reception. So I just went and got a quick burger from Wendy's. Yeah. Romantic. Good memories. Good memories. Good times. Wendy's. <laughs> this ad brought to you by Wendy's. Uh, anything going on in the news? The captain and some crew members of the boat that capsized in the Mediterranean. You mean the traffickers? The traffickers. They Whatever have been. Uh, they've been caught. They tried to get. They tried to uh, kind of stay under the radar with the rescuers as they were just on the boat. But oh, some man. people from the boat pointed at them and said, you were the captain. So they've been, there's only 28 survivors so far have been found. The UN has announced that uh, 800 people died in the disaster Sunday. The European Union convened on Monday to develop a 10-point plan to address migrant smuggling because uh, it is not stopped. 12 or how much? 1,500 people. Over the last about five or six days. And, interesting, a plane crash in the Alps, 155 people. Yeah. Ten times more people have died in that in the sea right there. And guess what? We hardly talk about it, really. Sad. It's bad. The United States Navy has dispatched the USS Theodore Roosevelt to the waters off of the coast of Yemen to 
potentially stop Iranian ships from carrying weapons to aid the rebels who are taking hold of the country. Now, this seems weird because we are, we're in debates or discussions with Iran, and yeah. now we're going to blockade them. Yes, because this is how things work. You have diplomatic relations on one issue, and you try to stop them from influencing so a civil war on another. Yeah. Uh, the Houthi rebels in Yemen have pushed out, of the, pushed out the country's president. They're fighting for control against the pro-government troops and Saudi Arabian airstrikes. So what I heard this morning was that this, uh, there's a flotilla of Iranian ships. They mm-hmm. think they're bringing arms and supplies. Yeah. The, the carrier group is going to move into the area and just sit there. Yeah, just kind they're of, not. They're not going to board ships. They're no, not going to cause gonna, problems. But kind of be in the way. Just the idea. Just the, the 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 view of a U.S. aircraft carrier. They say is enough to stop most ships from doing anything. That but Iran would say we are just trying to bring, uh, you know, food and support. Yeah. To the people in. Yemen. And then there's some question on whether the United States Navy can board these ships under UN regulations or I'd how that all works. Not. So, that would be create a be. war. <laughs> okay. The uh, the Koch brothers. Yes. You know who they are. Yeah. They're the big uh, financiers that uh, spend all the money on all of the Republican GOP that uh, Mr. Reed hates so bad. That's right. They came out yesterday in a New York Times. Uh, they reported, the New York Times reported that David Koch told a group of donors that he and his brother Charles want Governor Scott Walker to be the GOP's presidential nominee. Really? But they also said that they will stay out of the uh, them and their eight hundred plus million dollars. They've said they want to pledge to this. They want to spend eight hundred million dollars. So they, they said that several months ago. Jeepers, they said they're going to keep creepers. that money out of the primary ah, situation. But they but they want everyone to know who the horse they're backing. Okay. In a later statement, uh, David Cook said he's not endorsing or supporting any candidate for president at this point. Though he said Walker is terrific. <laughs> wink, wink. Interesting. Well, that's ooh, and he's not even in the race yet. No. Oh, this is going to get exciting. And Hillary's concern is to why? Excuse me, Hillary Clinton. I keep calling her Hillary. Yeah, you mean Hillary Clinton? Hillary Clinton. Uh, H. We call her H. The uh, Republicans are so concerned about the Clinton Foundation and all the fundraising and all that kind of stuff, and she finds it interesting that it's it's turning into distractions and attacks. And she says, I don't know why they only talk about me. There's so many other things to talk about when you're in in a, in a presidential race. There's issues. There's mm-hmm. you know, and they're just talking about me. She goes, if yeah. I wasn't here, they would have nothing to talk about. Uh, she's the enemy. Yeah, she's the only one running. And O'Malley's got to be sitting there thinking, hmm, she's taking on a lot of heat already. So I'll bet you more people will jump in now simply because she's she's already taken some heat. And there's this book that's coming out that's going to yes. just blow it up. They say, which we'll they see won't. what that does. Also, uh, Iowa farms have had to take out 5.3 million chickens. Wow. Bird flu. Ugh. Now, the eggs that are out there, everything's fine. They said it's it's only contagious to chickens. Do you know what, though? That was... I watched uh, James yesterday. I always go walk over by his desk, and he's either watching cat videos, but yesterday he was watching chicken videos Mm. where they had the flu. The avian flu. And a, have you ever a seen odd. a chicken sneeze? I have not. Oh, horrible. It's just sad. It sounds like, I don't know. It just sounds like a really high-pitched whistle. I don't know. I think it's kind of cute. Is that you why know? you spend hours doing that? Well, you know, it has some sort of appeal to it. Like, literally, I watched you laughing 
you were like belly laughing. And I went over and you're watching a cat video with like a cat at a bar. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Does your fiance know you do this? Um, I'll, I'll have to show her that video because it's would, a good one. Would she laugh? Maybe. I don't know. Or would she just laugh that you'd watch that stuff? Sometimes she just looks at me with, you know, that look on her face when that like that, that dejected, yeah, like yeah, just like ugh. yeah, just like oh, really? really? Hey, you know what? Get used to that look. <laughs> You're gonna have that a lot over the next ten years. Um, by the way, you might want to get rid of the cat videos and start watching the Bible continues. Okay, is that what it's called? Ad, you know, it's it's probably a better watch. I'm just I don't want to tell you what to do, but I do it. I just told you what to do. We're going to take a break, my friends. Um, Coming up next is uh, Dr. Eric Huntsman, and he is a professor of ancient scripture and Near Eastern studies here at Brigham Young University. We're going to be talking about A.D., which is a 12-episode series based on the events in the Bible that occurred after Jesus Christ's death. It's a a new NBC um, series, and uh, I'm sure you heard about it after Easter. We're going to get into that, talk to him, pick his brain about uh, you know how it's how this how this is playing out. Is it a fairly accurate portrayal? Up next on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. And, uh, you know, have you seen A.D., The Bible Continues? It premiered on Easter Sunday on NBC, and it's produced by Mark Burnett and Roma Downey. Um, It's a 12-part series that's on NBC and serves as a sequel to The Bible that was on the History Channel and also the feature film The Son of God. It's an interesting thing because it, it takes place basically after the death of Jesus Christ, and uh, traces the development of the apostolic church. So what happened with Peter and James and John and all of the apostles that were remaining after Christ's death. It's it's a really, I think, a, a pretty brave undertaking by NBC. Um, just because, you know, it's such a charged issue. Religion is such a charged issue. So I wanted to talk about it on the show, get the uh, insight of an expert. And joining us today is Eric Huntsman. Eric is a Ph.D. Uh, from University of Pennsylvania in ancient history. He is the professor of ancient scripture and Near Eastern studies here at Brigham Young University. And he is here to discuss the, the series. Eric, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Matt. Thanks for having me. Now, it's what do you think? I mean, we, we've heard, remember, uh, uh, Moses, Exodus. I mean, uh, all these movies have come out. Noah came out, didn't do so well. Ben-Hur did really well many moons ago, right? Right, right. Ten Commandments did really well. Um, what, what's, what's your just gut as a near-ancient professor or, or a professor of near-ancient studies? Yeah, I, what's I'm turning 50 this year, so yeah, you're, you're called not near-ancient. Near yeah, you are near-ancient, aren't you? <laughs> What do you think? What's your take on 
this I mean this is a big deal. Well, it is a big deal. And you know, back in the day when we were younger, you mentioned 10 commandments, Ben Hur, those kind of things. Biblical epics were all the rage. Yeah. You know, Cecil B. DeMille and these right. big huge things. And and then there was a period as as our society got more secular, those became less attractive. And then as you mentioned, there's been an attempt recently with Noah and some of these other films to kind of use biblical subjects to bring people in, but they received a little bit of pushback from the religious community right. because they didn't feel like they were faithful enough to the text. Now, a lot of you may know Roma Downey well. She did Touched by Angel, and mm-hmm. she's been—both she and her husband, Mark, are very committed Christians, and so they they are very intent on being able to present the Bible to a broad audience, not just the religious community, in a way that will get them interested in the text. Yeah. And so you may remember that Bible miniseries that was on the History Channel— did they did, do that? Did they, they did. They did that. And it was kind of, you know, mostly Old Testament and then fast forward to the life of Jesus. Right. And then they took a lot of the segments of the Jesus narrative and produced that as a feature film, The Son of God. That's right. That's right. And then this series, we just had the third episode this last Sunday, um, the 19th. Uh, it actually started on Easter Sunday, as you mentioned. And that was all on the crucifixion and death mm-hmm. and then the empty tomb. So it was actually perfect yeah, for perfect Easter Sunday. For Easter. And then the second episode was the reaction to the empty tomb. So those first two episodes were still kind of about Jesus. Right, right. Okay. And then this last week with the third episode, we began, as you mentioned, the Acts narrative. And their plan is to move up through Acts chapter 10. And how far does that get us? That gets us up to Cornelius and the baptism right. of you know the first Gentile. And so the idea is getting ready to take the gospel to all the world. It's such a, I mean, all of these wars we're hearing about now in the Middle East. I mean, this is all from this this uh, turmoil from from this era. From this, it's just it all kind of stems from this place, right? And yet, there's so much discord, and yet potential unity. Well, and you know, what's interesting is since you mentioned the Middle East and what's going on there with ISIS, and you know, Christians are being killed in Iraq mm-hmm. and in Syria and Libya, and Ethiopian Christians in Libya now, and Egyptian Christians. I mean, you actually see Christianity under fire. You know, we are so comfortable here in the United States where we have religious freedom and some people are squawking about, you know, Christians, you know, can't do their right. We're not being killed for being Christian. <laughs> We're right. not being kept from worshiping. Right. And so actually being able to see the struggles that the early church, the apostolic church went through puts a lot of that into context. But as I mentioned, you know, their intent was to present the Bible in a faithful way, yet an entertaining way. So uh-huh. they've had to negotiate kind of a difficult balancing act. Yeah. Um for instance, a lot of churches will produce Bible videos, which will usually have the straight narrative of the text, whether it be the King James Bible, whatever Bible translation that church uses, and they might dramatize it, but it's still the text. Mm-hmm. And that has you know, some great utility if you're going to show it in a Sunday school class or if your family wants to watch it. Yeah, in that one context but of that one But it's not the moment. thing that's going to attract a wide viewership. Right. And so one of the things that Lightworks, which is Mark and Roma's company, has tried to do is, is they are using scenes from the biblical story, but they're expanding what I call freely created scenes that try to show the historical, the political, the religious, the cultural context in which that Bible yeah. scene was occurring. And this has caused a little bit of controversy. I mean, some of my colleagues are a little negative on this because they are freely created scenes. Well, the like dialogue. That, you have to, right? Because you, otherwise it's just such a right. boring and, and story. And the way, the way I look at it, I, I like to consider this historical fiction, not the Bible parts, right. which I as a believer accept as true. But, for instance, Caiaphas and his wife will be speaking, the high priest and his wife will be speaking, or Pilate and his wife will be speaking, or you'll have some Jewish revolutionaries, and and you'll have these 
what started out at least in the first episode is sub stories kind of amplifying yeah. and, and showing what's going on. And and good historical fiction is not just fiction. I mean, it has a lot of historical research. The characters have to be real characters. Uh, they say and do the kind of things we think the historical figures would have done. Uh, bad historical fiction, you know, person doesn't do any research. And so I, I consider what they're doing to be scriptural scenes set or folded into a story which is good historical fiction. I mean, they've consulted a lot of biblical experts, a lot of historical experts. They've looked at historical sources like Josephus mm-hmm. and some Roman sources to try to give it as much verisimilitude so as possible. So accuracy-wise, what grade would you give it? Um, B+. Plus. That's. I mean, that's great. That is actually good. But, I mean, <laughs> think about it. It is good. Um, for instance, in this most recent episode, they introduced Herod Antipas, who was the ruler of Galilee when Jesus was in his ministry. But he wasn't king over all Judea. He was just up in Galilee. He didn't have the title of king. His name was, you know, his yeah. title was Tetrarch. By the way, grandson of Herod. Wasn't uh, he? Son of Herod. Son of, son of Herod. And so in this episode, they brought him down, and he was kind of a foil for the high priest, and the high priest and this Tetrarch Herod and uh. Pilate, the Roman governor, kind of working. Well, he's, he doesn't appear in the book of Acts at all. And so what they used is they used a later Herod, his great nephew, um, Herod Agrippa oh, okay. II, as kind of a model. And as a historian, I caught little things they did wrong. So like, at one point, this Herod Anipus says, well, I appoint the high priest. Well, that doesn't actually happen in this period. But but what they were trying to do to make it believable, they went after the model they had. Yeah, yeah. So I, I actually sometimes have to take off my historian and you know ancient scripture hat mm-hmm. and set it down and say, okay, I'm going to watch this, A, just as a viewer, and see if it's drawing me in yeah. and making me think more about the Well, and I, and I love it. Um, and I love what you're doing. You're writing articles for the Deseret News, which is a, a kind of an Intermountain West newspaper. Um, and let's take a break. But when we come back, because you also think it's kind of a great way to start discussions with your right, kids. Right. And you even write down little discussion topics for each show, okay. each one of the sure. episodes. We'll come back, continue the discussion with Dr. Eric Huntsman. Uh, right here from uh, Brigham Young University. He's an ancient scripture and Near Eastern studies professor. We'll be right back. More on AD The Bible Continues right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, in the house, uh, honored to have Dr. Eric Huntsman. Now, I mean, a lot of people would say, I don't want to go study ancient scripture, <laughs> nor nor do I want to study Near Eastern studies. But uh, Eric Huntsman's the guy that's done it. He has a Ph.D. in ancient history and a master's in it, by the way, and a bachelor's in classic Greek and Latin. Yeah. Latin, a dead language. Well, classical Greek is dead, too. I mean, it's not the modern yeah, yeah. that I so, do. So what's amazing, I think, about you, Eric, is this: you're talking about a TV series. Yeah. But with the same enthusiasm, I'm sure, as, as when you're teaching a class about Acts in the Bible. Well, and, you know, and the thing is, um, any text for me, and, and I got into this recently with classical literature, did Greek and Latin language and literature and Greek and Roman history before I moved over to ancient scripture— 
the thing reading to me has always been the ultimate experience, even more than TV and movies, because you have to conceptualize in your own mind the characters, yeah. and you have to envision the scenes, and it's a very creative enterprise. That's what's kind of dangerous about our video generation is things are just kind of served up to us on a platter, and we right. don't have to exercise any creativity or imagination. But you know that. But this is a difficult issue. Is when you go to from something which is this you know experience with the text, and then you go to a movie or a TV series where you're a little bit more passive. The question is, you know, are you somehow devaluing the the text? Exactly. What I think uh, Mark Burnett and Roma Downey were trying to do here was engage people at the creative level that the entertainment level that we experience today in society, but get them interested enough in the text that they would then go as individuals and families and read the Bible. Yeah, yeah. You know, the goal is, I don't think they imagine their TV series as being the end product. I think they see it as a catalyst or a means to an end. And that's why I'm so supportive of this, even though I question a few of the historical decisions and a little of the creative scenes. And the balance, you know, um, I was very moved by the first episode, which was all about Jesus. And even the second episode, and maybe it's because I, I do love Jesus, the figure of Jesus so much is when he stopped being a main character, the third episode didn't yeah. have some of that, that power. And it, the, the ratings kind of parallel that. Ratings are dropping off. Right. Of course, that will happen with a lot of series yeah. if people don't get engaged in it. But what we also saw in this third episode is the proportion of freely created scenes to depictions or dramatizations of the scriptural narrative really dropped off. Yeah. It almost seemed like Caiaphas and Herod and Pilate, to me, were bigger characters than, than, than Peter. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And it seems like we should be growing Peter. And you know, and I think part of the decision, the creative decision there was people don't know the Roman side of the story. They don't know the Jewish leadership right. side of the story. And they're trying and that's to – That's complex. And, and that... it is complex and you can't do it in just one or two scenes. Yeah. And, and so episode to episode, that proportion of freely created scenes yeah. and the scriptural narrative may vary. So that third episode may have been a bit of an outlier in that regard. Talk to us about um, their their use of diversity um, with the twelve, the quorum of the twelve, or the the, the, the twelve apostles. The twelve apostles. Well, and Mary Magdalene. Yeah, they're using all... a racially diverse cast. I think is the the best way to put yeah. that. And you know, it is true that there were a lot of different races. The Roman Empire was very heterogeneous. It was very diverse itself. Um, of course, first century Judea would not have been as diverse. Right. There were Samaritans and Greeks kind of mixed in and around where the Jews lived in Judea and Galilee and across the Jordan. I don't know that there – there are a group of black Jews called the Falashahs in Ethiopia. But for the most part, they would have all been pretty much Middle Eastern looking. Uh-huh. And so clearly the producers, the directors, the casting agents made a a decision to do what reflects more a contemporary racially yeah. diverse – Cast than would have existed there, and there was there was a little bit of criticism of that. One of my colleagues, Camille Frank Olson here at BYU, made a really interesting comment. She said, "You know, first century Jews and Christians did not look like us. Those of us who are from the United States, Western right. Europe, we expect them to all look kind of Swedish, you know, <laughs> or something. <laughs> Blonde, and so by eye. having them look different, that yeah. kind of makes us think, well, they must have been different than us. I suspect, however, they had a different reason. You know, the gospel message is one of inclusion. That Jesus came not just to suffer, die, and rise again for the Jews, but for all." humanity for all men and women. And in fact, one of the things I think this miniseries will culminate with if we get to Acts 10, maybe 11, we get the Cornelius story, is that he came for the Gentiles and not just the Jews. Well, to make that applicable to a modern audience, it's not just for, I guess we can call them Caucasian Americans, right, right. you know, whites. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's for Africans and African Americans and Asian Americans, etc. So I think that decision was made. So, so James and John, for instance, are portrayed as if they were Sub-Saharan Africans. Mm-hmm. Mary Magdalene is portrayed that way. And if you don't let that bother you, but you say, what does that tell me? 
anyone can be a follower yeah. of Jesus. I think that's really important, particularly in the United States, where we think we've made such triumphs in race relations. That's right. And we yet, have an African American president, and yet there are not, these police problems, right. you know, right. and, and, and all these other things. And so I think, even though it was an quote unquote interesting decision on their part, I don't oppose it. We really, I think it's. I think the message they're trying yeah, to convey was, is more important than the historical verisimilitude. And, 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 and in, in an interesting way, it seems like it's it's less of a of a point or a factor than maybe some of the other scenes that they had to dramatize that that hadn't been discussed, um, like um, the the mother Mary being at all of the different scenes. That's true. The last time Mary, the mother of Jesus, you know, she appears in John nineteen at the foot of the cross. She's not explicitly mentioned in the other crucifixion narratives. Right. And although women are mentioned at the empty tomb, Mary is not mentioned there. She's mentioned in Acts chapter one when the disciples have gathered in an upper room and they're trying to pick a successor mm-hmm. for for Judas. But you could assume and she'd the be to one. these things. But in early Christian tradition, you're right. Yeah. She She's not only assumed to be there in artistic depictions where you have a, a portrayal of the Twelve with tongues of fire depending upon them in Pentecost. Mary's usually seated right in right the middle. In the, right there. And in fact, in this third episode, when they start speaking in tongues, yeah. um, Mary starts doing it too. And I kind of felt like I was at a Pentecostal service there. Because you know, everyone sure. who's worshiping is having that we'll experience. That. Uh-huh. How powerful is that? Now, you, have, you are right. Every week you'll write a review, and, and just walk us through what you're doing, because I think this is Well, fascinating. one of the things that Desert News asked me to do is we were trying to get people more aware of the series. We did a number of media interviews, both print and, and video, as well as some radio ones, just to kind of let people know, it's okay if this is creative, it's okay if it's not, mm-hmm. just the scriptures narrated with right. some actors. Um, you know, we kind of floated the idea of, well, how can people separate what was actually in the text and what is created, and is the created stuff reliable? And I said, well, why don't you have a blog or something? And so a couple people contacted me, and I didn't get any directions. So after the first (laughs) episode, I was up really late Sunday night because I had it in Monday morning. (laughs) I thought, well, first of all, have a quick quick synopsis of the episodes. That's the first third. And then have a list of the scenes to show which ones were scriptural and which ones were freely created. You're almost fact And then have a section on historical issues, you know, Mm -hmm. where they get the information. If it's not strictly accurate, why did they make the choice they did? That's great. That's beautiful. But then for me, I have, I have a college-age daughter and then I have a 12-year-old boy. And I thought, well, if we want to watch this as a family, obviously my kids don't care whether Herod Antipas was right. tetrarch or could appoint the high priest. <laughs> so some of these historical details that occupy me don't occupy other people. But what are some discussions we could have? Because I think that's what Mark and Roma really wanted was for people to watch it and then go read the text and then discuss it. Do you know if they know what you're doing? Um, I don't know if they personally do, but their representatives from Lightworks came, and we had a meeting with yeah, KSL. And but I bet they would love people. this idea. Yeah, well, I hope other people are doing it all across the country. I don't think it's particularly unique to me. But anyway, so some of the questions were just kind of rough historical ones. Why are why would Caiaphas have acted the way he did? Mm-hmm. Uh, how come Caiaphas seems a little sympathetic here? He should just be a jerk. He killed Jesus, right? Yeah, you know, right, right. or Pilate. Yeah. But you know, by having them talk with their wives about all the political issues and, and concerns for their jobs and concerns about revolts, you know. Mm-hmm. But then some more substantive questions. You know, how did Mary Magdalene feel when she found the tomb empty? Yeah. You know, um, how did Peter feel when he denied knowing Jesus? You know, and so some of these things that are more human segues or bridges into saying, okay, let's talk about the real Peter. Let's talk about the uh-huh. real Mary Magdalene. Do you think – how do parents that maybe aren't as well-versed in the Bible, how do they necessarily know? Like, I mean, Caiaphas is a complicated character 
leader, a Pharisee, I guess, leader of the Sanhedrin. Well, he would have been a Sadducee. He was the leader of the, of the priestly party in the Sanhedrin. But, um, but again, uh, which is a very active Jewish involved leader. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yet kills a Jew. Or arranges to have him yeah. killed. Right. So right. If, if we don't know that kind of background, where should we begin? How do we go about watching something like this? Well, I think, first of all, you just watch an episode. And I mean, not everyone just has to be impulsive as me and take notes during yeah. it, but just yeah. watch it, and then ask yourself, okay, what what chapters of the Bible does this treat? And then just read the Bible. Yeah. Then you. Know. And then after you've read the two, think, okay, what did I see in the Bible that was in that episode, and what wasn't there? And then even if you don't have the historical background that I do, say, well, where do they get that information? Yeah. You know, and then ask yourself the questions. I mean, it's not just about the diversity of the casting in terms of, of ethnic background. They really highlight women, which I think is a very positive thing. You know, and it's not just Mary, the mother of Jesus, which right. is a little bit more from the Catholic tradition. But, you know, um, in this third episode, they introduced the figure of Peter's daughter. Now, we know Peter had a wife because right. his mother-in-law was healed That's by right, Jesus. Exactly. And, and, and in Galatians, Paul also mentions, or in Corinthians, Paul mentions Peter taking a wife around while Paul didn't have one, apparently. Maybe he was a widower. And so if he had a wife, then maybe he would have had children. But this figure of the daughter was really powerful. I mean, it's because I have a daughter yeah. about that age, yeah. right? You know, yeah. it was, he came for women too. And actually, before the Spirit comes, the disciples are scared. They don't know what to do. But it's this little girl that says, well, what would Jesus have done? Oh, oh he would have prayed, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, and, and when, in fact, when they first say, we've seen him, she goes, well, why aren't you out there telling people? You That's know, right. so she's kind of driving it. And I, I felt that was a lovely inclusion, even though it's completely ahistorical. That's right. Could have been true. Right. But she is not just, it's not a, just a freely created scene or dialogue. It's a created character. Yeah. Unknown to history. And yet, they're very Assumed. well. Could have been yeah. a daughter. Predictable. And I think about how my daughter inspires me to be better oh, yeah. and to live up to what I say and That's to preach, right. you know. Why do you – and to give us the historical reasoning, why, why, um, why weren't some of those other details ever included? Why wasn't Caiaphas's wife's wife ever named? Well, I mean the only reason we know Caiaphas had a wife is because in the Gospel of John um, in chapters 18 and 19 – Caiaphas is the current high priest, and his father-in-law was the previous Annas, high priest. That's right. So if you have a father-in-law, You'd then probably have you're a wife married somewhere. to his daughter, but yeah. we don't even have that's her right. name. But she's the link between the two. And in those first couple episodes, she was an important figure because she articulated a lot mm-hmm. of the concerns that they had. And and I kind of liked it. In first century Jewish culture, women had a much more constricted role. But among elites in the ancient world, particularly in the Roman world, Women could own property. They could. They had legal rights, and they were much more active. This is the period of the great empresses and that kind of thing. Okay. And so I actually, my background was actually women in antiquity and Roman history before I moved to ancient scripture. And so I was, I was kind of interested in yeah. that and and the portrayal of Pilate's wife. Pilate's wife is only mentioned once by Matthew when she says, "I've had a dream. Leave him alone." Don't That's mess all with we this have. Guy. Yeah. Now Christian tradition embellished that. Yeah. And gave her a name, Claudia Proclin, all this kind of thing, but. Um, it's interesting in a way that um, Lightworks, the people who are producing this, Roman Mark, are actually kind of doing what the first couple generations or centuries of the Christian tradition did in terms of amplifying the yeah. story yeah. to Make flesh out human. characters and to illustrate important points. Well, and I guess that's another way to learn this is – I mean you don't have to be a scholar, but you you are a human. Right. So you can infer a lot knowing that a mother would watch her son killed. Right. Be killed. I mean, there's a lot of information just right. in being human about that. Mm-hmm. Or like you keep talking about your daughter. Right. Yeah. That's all you need as a child to know. One of the things, even though this third episode to me had uh, kind of a 
skewed proportion between created scenes and 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 scriptural portrayals. The Pentecost scene was powerful when they're praying, and and they just did the Lord's prayer over and over again yeah. with increasing intensity, and then you know the fire comes Boom. down and encircles them, and they're speaking. And what's important, I think, this is where the series will probably go in subsequent episodes, is the disciples, particularly Peter. They're new creatures in Christ when they get this baptism by yeah, fire. Yeah, different, aren't You know, they? Peter had denied knowing the Savior, being one of his disciples, and he had suffered. And he didn't know what to do in the second episode. But when he gets that spirit, he says, now we can go out. They've been skulking around, hiding in this <laughs> upper room. He goes, now we can go outside. And they and go outside. Empowered. And he's empowered. He marches up to the temple. They kind of conflated some scenes there, chapters two and three. He goes right up and heals a lame man, which is actually – a later date, a later episode in the in the <laughs> they didn't push that out. But but the important thing is, he starts doing what Jesus had done. Jesus had healed the lame. He took Jesus the role. performed miracles, and then he stands up and boldly preaches. And then he's beaten, and he and John are arrested. And so you actually, in the ancient Christian tradition, it's called imitatio dei, imitation of God, doing what God or Christ hmm. had done. So just as Christ had healed, Peter heals. Just as Jesus had preached, Peter preaches. Just as Jesus Jesus was arrested, and or, you know, abused, yeah. now Peter is. Peter so are is you willing to follow in the steps of Jesus, both good and bad? Well, and every church that uses the Bible, sh- that's an essential part of the movement. Well, very much so. And one other thing we didn't get a chance to talk about, which I think is important, and I suspect the producers and directors are trying to do here, is by having the story continues, right? That's the subtitle of AD. Yeah. The year of the Lord, Anno Domini, the story continues is to maybe connect modern churches with the Jesus story because the apostolic church should be the model for all churches today. Whether you have apostles or not isn't the issue. Um, So do we go forth with this message that he is risen? Do we go forth with this message to live as he lived, to bring all people in a world where there are a lot of political competing factors and social and religious problems and opposition? Mm. You know, so I, I think that's important. And figures like Peter... You know, when I teach Old Testament, I have a whole lecture that I call Patriarchs Behaving Badly. You know, Abraham seems to lie, <laughs> Jacob seems to cheat, you know, then later Jonah runs away and Peter denies. And, and some people resist that. Some religious people want prophets and apostles to be perfect and these wonderful stellar examples. But for me, when imperfect people nonetheless do great things because God is with them, that's actually more inspiring to oh, me. For to sure. me, it's a wonderful model of grace that yeah. no matter what we do, we can be forgiven and empowered. If you're a Christian believer, you can be empowered by the Holy Ghost like the apostles were at Pentecost. And God can do more with us imperfect beings than we can do on our own. Mm. So true. Eric, you're amazing, man. Oh, you're kind. Where have you been all my life? Well, just up campus <laughs> just a little up bit. Just up the street. <laughs> I've been here 21 years. I know you. You look so young, too. You look like a young punk. Um, Talk to me about where we're going to find your blog. Uh, I think it's just an electronic version. I don't know if it's in the print version because I never get it in on time on Monday morning. But if you just go to DeseretNews.com and search A period, D period for AD and Huntsman, I think it should come up. Okay. So, yeah, and it'll be, it'll be done at least the next couple of weeks. I don't know if they're going to have me do it throughout the whole series, but I think these first episodes Is it a fun useful. exercise for you? Yeah. Can yeah. you continue? I mean, that's a big job. Yeah, it takes a few hours. You got to watch it, but then dissect it. Yeah, what it. I do is I watch it and I take notes and I DVR it, and then I back up and make sure I saw what I thought I saw, oh, and wow. then I look up a few things. I think ah, that's not the way Harry was. A lot, was. Of work. a lot of work. Well, Eric, we appreciate you. Well, and, thanks for uh, having me. Seriously, keep up the great work, and everybody, go find the blog uh, Deseret News. Just do, if you did Deseret News and A dot D dot and Huntsman, I, you'll find I it. I think so. I think so. You'll find it. Appreciate you. Eric Huntsman, PhD in ancient history um, and professor of ancient scripture. Well, thanks for having me. Watch the show, but more importantly, read the Bible. That's right. <laughs>
<laughs> you should start selling Bibles there. We'll be right back. I continue the discussion here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Eric Huntsman was just with us. If you want his Twitter handle, it's at Eric D. Huntsman, at Eric D. Huntsman, and you can follow him on Twitter, um, and that might even make it easier for you to, to catch up with him. He also has Facebook. He has a Wikipedia page. 20 years of, of uh, ancient scripture studies. I mean, did you... How on – he's just throwing – oh, yeah, that's Acts 17. Oh, that's Acts 16. I mean I'm like, Acts, what are you talking about? Slow down. Interesting stuff, my friends. Um, wh- when you think about it too and you, then you tie it to everything that's going on in the Middle East, there's some serious – there's some serious uh, history that goes into it. One of the things I do love about the AD series, uh, The Bible Continues, is the complexity of trying to see how the Romans and the Jews uh, could work together. And then the, lo- the governors of the Roman local governors. And um, anyway, it's interesting, interesting stuff. Uh, any headlines that we need to worry about, Terry, before we uh, take our other news break? Today is Queen Elizabeth's 89th birthday. Happy birthday. I thought 90th. Is it 89th or 90th? If you want to argue with Google, go ahead. By the way, she, oldest living monarch in the world. That's a big deal. That's like, that's a big deal. Yeah. Jeez. What do you get the queen for her birthday? I don't know. Let's ask James because James always knows. He has the queen gifts? Yes. He's the best gift giver. Royalty? What do you get royalty on their 89th birthday? A nice piece of parchment paper. Okay. For what purpose? To write on it. Yeah. So you think the queen... Wants just a piece of parchment. She wants stationary. Maybe she'll get a nice nap. Because oh, eighty nine sounds just tiring, <laughs> you know. <laughs> or a bonnet. I was talking like a nice hat. I was talking with my financial advisor yesterday. Really? And he was, you know, they do the thing where this is what you have now, and you project yeah. out so many years. And he got to like sixty four, and then he went to eighty something. I'm like, ah, it just makes me so tired. Did you say? Yeah, you're going to need to work till you're 89. Yeah. Yeah, mine says that too. Yeah, basically. But, I mean, just the idea, you know, where you're at in your plan, and I just, I'm so tired. Well, see, that just, you're just, it sounds like you're tired. I, well, that, yeah, I was tired. I think a lot of that has nap. to do with the time that you get up for your show. Also, and this made me, this will probably also make you feel bad. What did you do yesterday? When? During, eh, I don't know, during, well, we had our show. That's that's where. I did the show. The beginning of our show. All right, from uh, 9 to, what is it, noon? Yeah. Yeah, noon Eastern. I'm trying to do the math there. I know. Um, the Boston Marathon was going on. Right. And Freezing cold. began and finished. During the show. During our show. And I just sat here. And you just sat here. Ah, so. And you were done. You're like, oh, this was so. But just... I drank about 40 ounces of water. Right. So. They ran 26 miles. I mean, it's similar. Not really. I mean, it's close. And then a story comes out. Amy Keel, 35 years old from Minnesota, seven and a half months pregnant. She ran the Boston Marathon yesterday. Are you serious? Yeah. How would you like to be the baby? 
That so that baby before it's even born ran a marathon. Well, rode along for a marathon. It's like riding in a car. For no, no, 20. no, no, no. Don't diminish that. <laughs> That's a human in a human. Yeah, no. I, for I get 26. the concept. 26.2 miles. That's hard. Just imagine the bouncing. Well, you're in a, a, a watery sort of suspended situation. Oh, so I see you're diminishing the effort. No, I am. That baby <laughs> had to stay focused. It's not like you're making a, a smoothie and the baby's all spinning around or anything. Why would you make a smoothie out of a baby? I was trying to think of a blender type situation. The, the the baby's not getting all, you know, shaken and stuff. The baby's fine. He's in a suspended sort of... You don't remember, do you? No, you don't either. Oh, don't I? <laughs> I totally remember. But yeah, and more, and what the article talked about how more and more doctors are kind of letting mothers figure out... It, it, the, I guess the, the it's not... Seen as as adverse to exercise yeah, in that do way. Do you can, I guess. If you already are doing it yeah. as you become pregnant. That's amazing. Your really. body's already used to it. And, and this type of exercise and any type of exercise while pregnant helps in the pregnancy. But seven and a half months is pretty big. Yeah. You'd think that that I don't would know. just. My wife uh, ran a mile two days before giving birth and she was a week late. Is that why she ran a mile? No, we were just working out. She goes, she oh, let's go do this. To- Maybe that's what it was. I don't know, but she. I mean, I, that's. I think that's really cool. And I mean, seriously, but it just seems like you know. It used to be sit down, put your feet up, don't move. That's what and it now still it, is for me. And now it's progressing to what do you do? You know, let your body tell you when to stop. Is there pain? Do you feel stress? That kind of thing, and then you kind of slow down that way. Ah, it's kind of how they're progressing the medical opinion, I guess. I like I, I like the idea that they're kind of letting us lead our own lives a yes. little bit, you know? I mean, we're smart people. While watching and documenting everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and let me just figure it out. Let me just know. Let my body tell me when I need to take a break. When my every, – and every time – I don't know what it is. Every time I we've had a baby, I've gained like five pounds. Right. Every baby. Well, you have to do it for the baby. Yeah, and we've had so we've had six. So I, I'm, I'm up thirty pounds. Oh, there you go. Well, ever since I got my 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 exercise band, I've actually lost six pounds. So is it sympathy weight? Is that what it is? That's six you... pounds. So that's that's one. I've lost one baby's worth of weight gain. Yeah. Do you feel good about your loss? Yeah. Okay. Now that your kids are teenagers and. In college, I thought it was. I thought now's the time. I probably need to get my baby weight off. Now's the time to lose the baby weight. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you lose that weight when they go to college? Is that no? You lose other things. You lose a lot of other things. Money. You lose money. <laughs> you lose your retirement. But and um, but you know what? I, you know why I'm losing weight is I've got to get in that tux for the wedding on May second. Two weeks. That, you got. It's two that weeks. vest. It's just so it's that, confining. It's that darn cummerbund. Mm-hmm. You don't right. want to have like a muffin top. You don't want to have an overhang over your cummerbund. Oh, you don't want me to have that, or you you, don't, you, you, you think I don't? I would imagine well, I'm you fine would. with it. Okay, well, but if you don't want me to have it when I do my keynote, no, actually, keynote I think toast. I think it'd be a good fashion statement. Okay, good. That's close. I'll have some. I'll, I'll be down another ten by then. Yeah, if I don't eat, then I'm going to pig out that night. Holy cow! I'm going to eat. I'm going to have like twenty. Servings. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back after the break.
Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program as you're driving to work or to lunch, wherever you are. This is the show where we give you the tools to live longer, love stronger, and uh, lead the, the people you're with. Every one of us needs to take a, a bigger role in leading our own lives. And this is the show to help you. Welcome to the program. i uh, got a great uh, show for you today. Today we're going to be getting into, um, we've already talked about, uh, you know, the Bible Continues, that series. Um, AD, the Bible Continues, that's on NBC. This hour we're going to be talking about the, the uh, I don't know what you call it, the intersection of discrimination and etiquette. So cultures have taught etiquette. There's certain rules to society, certain things that are acceptable and not acceptable. And is it possible that uh, sometimes our discrimination is simply because we lack etiquette? We didn't know. We didn't think. It's not just this evil, horrible angle that I hate certain people. Sometimes we're just not informed as to certain rules. And we'll be talking about that. And then that comes out just as we've talked a lot about, you know, like Hillary Clinton the guy dies at his funeral in his epitaph or what was – did they put it on his tombstone? No, no. It was just on his obituary. Just obituary. Don't vote for Hillary Clinton. That was the last line. Everything else was you know, loving family. Here's his life works. And the last line, and don't vote for Hillary in 2016. And then people have to comment on that, right? So then yes. they go to the mortuary site where they have his obituary and then they start leaving horrible messages for the family of the, this man. I mean, again, etiquette. And then eventually somebody – you watch these things and it's weird because if you read them enough, some of these you, – you can tell it's reached its peak when they mention certain figures from history, Hitler. Uh-huh. They go, oh, you're just basically yeah. – you know, and you're like, come on. Yeah. yeah once you're, settle down, people. Once you're throwing down the Hitler card. Yeah, you're done. Yeah. You, you've reached the peak of insanity and now the conversation over – now, Something yeah, is now, over. It's t- that's just a sign. You need to like back it down. Just back it down. That's that's a, that's actually a great rule. Once you're playing a dictator's yeah, as, any as an dictator, because yeah. you throw in Stalin, yeah. you can throw in any number of Nazis. people through history, and oh. you're just going well beyond the scope of the argument. It's probably yeah to that, try to win. That's a sign reason. you should have planned more. Yes, but it even goes into racism, it goes into name-calling, it goes into sexism, and all these different uh, ways that we can dream up to put each other down over a discussion over something, and it doesn't make any sense. And it might make more sense that it's just a lack of etiquette, understanding, propriety, and not necessarily a pure, true bias against somebody. And a lot of this comes up when we discuss politics. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, so true. Almost when you discuss anything in the news. Um, are there any things in the news that we you, could use this on? You've been talking about Governor uh, John, is it Kasich? Kasich. Kasich mm-hmm. from uh, Ohio. He's the governor. Yeah. Apparently he is going to be launching his campaign. He got his witness. He got his answer. He got a super PAC. Is that what it was? That's all you need. That's your witness is in politics. Pack. This is Joe. Joe Cannon believes this is the guy to keep your eye on. The uh, super PAC, very strong signal. Going to he's going to get into the race. He's not in yet. He no. hasn't declared. But this is one of the things you need to but do. We're seriously is, considering there has to be funding. Yeah, you got your super PAC. Now. He's a two term uh, two term governor in Ohio. He uh, appears to be formidable candidate on paper, but he angered many of the Republican Party when he expanded Medicaid in Ohio under Obamacare. Mm. 
Yeah. So that could be something he'd have to but answer he's a, for. So he's a, con, a past Congress uh, man and also a, a, a you know governor. So he's he's and he's very well liked in Ohio, which is one of these major states you got to pull to win. Yes, got to pull those. Uh, six Minneapolis men were arrested Sunday and have been charged with allegedly conspiring to join ISIS in Syria and Iraq. What federal what? authorities found talked to him Monday. Uh, they've been uh, Minnesota has been a hotbed of ISIS recruitment. Yeah. Um, at least nine Minnesotans are known to have traveled to Syria for ISIS. At least three of them have reportedly been killed in fighting. Nearly 50 Americans have been charged in the past two years with trying to join or being associated with terrorist groups. I wonder what's going on there. <sighs> and the, uh, the, the U.S. attorney who is uh, dealing with the case as quote is, we have a terror recruitment problem in Minnesota. Yeah. So they, they're trying to figure out ways to, uh, to head that off. The Pulitzer... Prizes were yes. announced yesterday. Did uh, did we get one? No. Okay, just checking. It's it's for excellence in journalism. Yeah. Just yeah. One of the winners from the Daily Breeze newspaper in LA County is a reporter named uh, Rob Kunznia. What was that? Kunznia. Who? Yes, he was honored for his work on an investigative report dealing with corruption in a local school district. Mm. As he was being interviewed on Monday, one of the media outlets in the area was talking to him. He admitted that he has since left journalism is now working as a public relations because he said it was too difficult to make ends meet on his newspaper salary while renting in the L.A. area. Really? So, so you win an award, which is the height of journalism. I'm out of here. And you quit because you can't make a living in come L.A. To, living. <laughs> come to BYU Broadcasting. We also, need that. The Post and Courier in Charleston, South Carolina, staffed by 80 people, won the gold medal for public service for its series Till Death Do Us Part, a high number of about uh, domestic abuse in South Carolina. It's the highest honor. It's the it's what's it called again? That's great. What's called they call it the gold medal for public service. That's the, the Pulitzer. So it's the top prize of the Pulitzer it's Prizes. Like the Nobel Prize. Of but the it's Pulitzer. a small newspaper of 80 people that won it. How cool. How Not cool. Not the New York Times no. or these massive newspapers. That's awesome. A small newspaper one. That's going to make a difference right there. Before 2000, the FBI's forensic unit gave flawed testimony in almost every trial for two decades, the Justice Department and FBI admitted. Oh, man. A total of 26 out of 28 examiner, uh, examiners in the unit overstated forensic matches for microscopic hair comparisons in 95%. Of 268 trials reviewed so far, <sighs> 32 of those incidents, or of those include defendants sentenced to death, 14 whom have already been executed. Under now, what they're finding to be flawed evidence. Yeah, that's gonna. I have a feeling that's gonna create a backlash. Now it says the errors do not mean, however, there were no other evidences yeah. to convict the criminals. But it would mean you'd have to go back and look at the evidence again, and you can't now as the person is dead. Well, this is why the death penalty is such a big deal, right? Because the system's not perfect. But recent polling has shown that America is still behind the death penalty, even though it could end up with flawed evidence and maybe an incorrect uh, ruling on who's guilty or not. Oh, wow. So, interesting. China, the uh, government, the Chinese government has invested in a program called the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor. A $46 billion project that will do everything from upgrading railways to building power plants in Pakistan. Hmm. The project will also fund the construction of a $1.4 billion dam near Islamabad. If the deal goes according to plan, Pakistan says its power generation will double within a few years. Wow. The corridor will give China access to a deep water port close to the Persian Gulf. 
as the world's biggest oil importer. They need access so they can move uh, the product in and out of the country yeah. easier. China gets a pipeline that stretches virtually from the Gulf of China, cutting thousands of kilometers of across, uh, ocean, uh, cutting thousands of kilometers of ocean travel out of the import export through Southeast Asia. So, Why doesn't China just build, you know, build up sand through the ocean all the way to the ocean and a road? They do that. They're really good at just building a road. As as we saw last week <laughs> online, they built a runway. They built a runway in the middle of it's capable, a disputed. Yeah. It's capable of handling military aircraft and disputed territory in the South China Sea. Uh, recent satellite images have shown the runway on a reef uh, where we talked about how they're dumping sand yeah. and then they pave it over with cement. That's brilliant. And they made these but see, runways. If they would just keep doing that, they could, they, could have a, they could have a road anywhere in the world. They could. Just take it all the way to like Australia. They acknowledge, China's acknowledged that the islands are served both civilian and military purposes – Two Chinese companies are also working on constructing massive mile-long floating sea bases that can move around according to need and uh, conduct a range of military operations. The idea is to build multiple semi-submersible hull sections that can fit together by linking their component pieces like Legos. Oh, wow. So you just have these huge chunks of cement that you can slap together and make a portable runway anywhere in the world. It's brilliant. Or block off sections of the South China Sea so you can claim it as your own. Either way. Either way. You're going to be fine. China's fine. China's making some deals, you know. They're, hey, we need to pay attention. And they may run out of cement. Cement's Apparently they're running out of land. They have to well, start. land too, but. It's crazy. They're making their own land. Oh, and there's dog flu in the Midwest. <gasps> Is that like bird flu? Because bird flu, when they sneeze, when yeah. those little birds sneeze. It's different. It says the canine dog flu has put the Chicago area owners and veterinarians on edge. Oh, boy. It's also spread through Wisconsin, Indiana, and Ohio. More than 1,000 dogs. They're all they're sick. And the University of Wisconsin Madison School of Veterinary Medicine is warning uh, owners to keep dogs away. If your dog is sick, you have keep to isolate dogs away from dogs. Other dogs, keep them yeah. isolated. That kind of thing. It makes them sick. They don't. It goes. Don't let them go, make an appointment with a vet outside of a clinic. So so you don't can, uh, you know contaminate other dogs. Yeah. If your dog seems sick, don't let your pup go nose to nose or otherwise get too close with other dogs. <laughs> it, the strain can't make humans sick. But it can really uh, mess your dog up. See, so. and there's nothing – Think of, just think of this image. You walk in your house, TV's on, your dog's on the couch watching TV. I'm sick. He's got a mask on his mouth, on his face. He's just sick. Yeah. His eyes look bloodshot. He's got dog sniffles. Dog sniffles. They call them diffles. So, yeah, dog flu. James calls them. Watch out for dog flu. Watch out for dog flu. Wow. You got to love your animals. Uh Again, information to help you live longer and your dogs and pets live longer. That's the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be discussing politeness and discrimination. Is it possible that some things that might be perceived as discriminating, is they're really just a lack of etiquette? Uh, we're going to talk about social norms, mores, etiquette, discrimination. They all go hand in hand, my friend. Noah Berlotsky is going to be joining us. He's written a wonderful article on this, uh, and we are going to get into the petty etiquette of discrimination. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. I have a great uh, topic coming up right now. Uh, Noah Berlotsky is um, he is a contributor to The Atlantic, and uh, he he wrote an article called The Petty Etiquette of Discrimination. Um, and one of the things I really wanted to get into, there's just so many times that we – I think we offend each other, and I'm not even sure we even know – necessarily why we're offending sometimes how we are offending but could you believe that a faux pas you know just as just a you know something as simple as typing in all caps um could could offend somebody right uh we understand that in the end there's just a lot of rules there's an etiquette to life there's mores there's norms there's standards and um we wanted to talk to Noah about his article. Let him teach us uh, really about maybe the correlation between politeness um, and etiquette and discrimination. Noah Berlatsky, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, thanks for having me. Great to have you on the show. Uh, first off, in your article for The Atlantic, it starts with a very interesting quote from James uh, Lewin, and he says, in, in its everyday operation, segregation consists of a pervasive system of etiquette. What do you mean by that in your article? Um, well, what, what Lowen is saying is that the way that segregation works is it's a system of, um, you know, it's a social system. Who can talk to who, uh, who can drink at which fountain, who can sit where, uh, who's allowed to do which jobs, um, what kind of interactions people can have with each other. It's a system of etiquette. Um, and I think people probably, you know, I mean, felt it as a system of etiquette, you know, like doing, violating one of those norms felt wrong. You know, it felt right. polite. It felt, it felt like you were... You Going were, against um, society. Right, right. And you can, I mean, like, you know, Mark Twain talks about that in... in uh, Huck Finn. In Huck Finn, yeah. right? I mean, Huck Finn... Huck Finn his decision to sort of like treat Jim as a human being, you know, he feels as a breach of etiquette, essentially, right? I mean, it's a breach of sort of social norms and morality. Uh, now, obviously, that was backed up at, up with violence, right? right. I mean, if you if you kept pushing at those norms, you know, you would eventually be subject to violence. But, you know, the first way it works is that it, it's just sort of perceived or felt as a social stigma. And so, you know, a lot of the ways that um, segregation and discrimination are built into society is through norms of etiquette. And and so sometimes we may not just be, I mean, people aren't always this rabid racist. They may just be trying to live social norms. Um, I think that's right. You know, I mean, I think that a lot of people, uh, you know, during slavery or during Jim Crow or now, you know, people aren't nece- don't necessarily feel they have a huge ideological commitment to discriminating against black people. I mean, often the op- opposite, right? I mean, people say, right. you know, I want everybody to be equal. Um, but, you know, then there are social norms that feel right, right? Uh-huh. And you don't necessarily question them. And that can kind of be part of the way that discrimination works you know, making jokes or, you know, who, who feels like, you know, who you sort of sense as being out of place 
gathering even, right? Right. Uh, and how you react to that. So. Well, and I guess, too, because you're not ever just living one standard of social norms, right? Because you, you might have your family rules, then you might have your kind of community or your religious rules, then you might have your city or your, your I mean, you know, more uh, larger group rules. I mean, I guess, too, that's – I sit there and I see somebody that was just raised in a belief of about certain, you know, whatever uh, – understanding of certain ethnicities or beliefs about ethnicities that came from their parents, they might just be living the rules without ever knowing the the hierarchy of rules and not knowing what society would say in general because they've only heard what their parents say. Yeah, um, and I think, you know, I mean, norms change, too. I yeah. mean, they're kind of contested, right? I mean, norms around um, homosexuality, right? Has yeah. changed a lot, and, know, and is that life, that seems like it's, it seems like because there's discussion going on. We're having a discussion about it now, which is seems to be informing, and educating, and creating new norms, new mores. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, and that's still going on. I mean, when I talk in the I talk in the piece about the Indiana legislation, right? I mean, yeah. where you know, it's kind of it's not exactly clear what that law did or how it changed. The rules, but it was like it was a statement of a norm, right? I mean, uh-huh. it was the conservative Indiana legislature and governor trying to say, you know, we our norm is that we don't support gay people, and there was a lot of pushback in that, right? You know, and I mean, I think there's a tendency to say, well, that doesn't really matter, you know, because I mean, it's not really clear what this law does and did it really change anything, but you know, I mean, like symbolic norms like that are, are really quite important, you know, I mean, like. Are gay people welcome in this state or not? Right. No, right. You know, I mean, like, that, that, that's something that, you know, that matters, that can affect, you know, how people are treated. Well, and, and so, the very legislation, right, it, I guess it it created an outrage because it went against the norms. Right. I mean, people people are committed now. I mean, there are some people who are committed now, at least, yeah. to the idea that, that you know, Gay people should be treated equally, and that's is you know a contested norm, but it's something that people are trying to you know get to be the standard. So, so you and and you tie it to the word etiquette, which I really I really like because so so I guess are you using the words norms and etiquette kind of interchangeably? Uh, to some degree, yeah. I mean, you know, etiquette is. You know, people people often think of etiquette as, you know, like which fork you use or something. But yeah. you know, I mean more broadly etiquette's, you know, how how society like what what's the polite way to treat people, you know, what's the what's the kind of moral way to treat people? So um you know, is it is it okay to, you know, sort of like refuse people's services because of their sexuality? I mean that's Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I yeah. mean are you in a community where where gay people aren't, you know, where it's where it's polite or even you know the right thing to do to to, to refuse to treat gay people as neighbors and as humans, mm-hmm. or is that wrong? You know, that, I mean, in large part, that's a question of etiquette. Well, and a lot of times, I guess, I mean, it's interesting because we might we might do something out of etiquette, like serve somebody that we might not out of um, out of our own discrimination. So if I'm going to discriminate, I might do it one way. But if I think of it as etiquette, 
yeah, it's it is proper to serve people, even all yeah, people. I mean, I, I think. I mean, I think that there's. I mean, discussions of of discrimination, you know, often kind of focus on intent, right? I mean, it's like people want to know what's in your heart, right? Yeah. And you know, and then sometimes it's kind of like, well, if you're, I don't know. I mean, if you spend any time online, you'll, you'll see this. You know, people will say. I'm not racist, right? Mm-hmm. In my heart, right? Yeah. I'm not a racist person. And that means, you know, and then the next step is, well, since I'm not racist in my heart, I have license to do and say yeah. racist things because, you know, everybody knows I don't really mean them. You know, I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. people kind of tend to sometimes focus too much on, or can focus too much on the intent, you know, and then, you know, I mean, often, like, I mean, how you treat people is the thing, right? I mean, that's... That's right. Like, like, what's in your heart is kind of like, you know, I mean, nobody can see that. Yeah. Right? But well, how you how you, how you, you actually treat people and the sort of, like, the etiquette with which you deal with people is... is that's, that's out there. That's that, out there. That's and public. That's, that's how you actually affect other people. So mm-hmm. that can sometimes, you know, be more important than, you know, what your intent is. No, I, I totally agree. And, and it's an interesting discussion because... Um, you know, as as we as we look at it, I guess it's at some point we have to still engage with society, and so to have set you know beliefs or etiquette or norms, um, intent aside, we still need to either be a part of society or not a part of society. And, and again, that's where I think uh, we sometimes run into problems. We're going to talk, uh, continue this discussion, and continue with Noah Berlotsky after this break and his uh, interesting discussion about the petty etiquette of discrimination. What would happen if we just, you know, could see each other more as just a social being that we have to interact with, get to interact with, and just use more etiquette, um, you know, instead of trying to absolve ourselves from our own intentions, our own, you know, deep, deep, deep inner ways we wanted to be. We'll have a break. Come back. Continue the discussion right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, interesting discussion and topic here. On the line is uh, Noah Berlotsky, and uh, Noah is um, a writer for uh, Atlanta, The Atlantic, a contributing writer there. He edits the online comics and culture website, The Hooded Utilitarian, and is the author of the book Wonder Woman, Bondage, and Feminism. Um, in the Marston Peter comics, 1941 to 48. Noah Berlatsky, welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, love uh, the discussion about your article, The Petty Etiquette of Discrimination. But you make a really interesting point in there. Um, changing the world, you say, sometimes involves repealing unjust laws. And just as often, though, it happens by changing the small, petty interactions that make up um, oh, and I lost it. The make up the world, basically, that we live in. Um, so, yeah, we can go about changing legislation, which creates a lot of noise, like you were talking about in Indiana, and uh, gets everybody kind of in a brouhaha. And, and, and it, I love it because it starts the conversation for many. Um, 
Meanwhile, you're also saying we got to watch out for the small, just little petty arguments we have. For example, on um, in the Indiana thing, all of a sudden we'd have you know all of the 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 chat rooms or whatever the the Twitter lines, the Twitter feeds. A lot of those little private conversations are just as petty and are just as it's where a lot of the venom is being pushed out. Um, but I guess in the end, this is good, huh? Because we're we're talking and I guess we're renegotiating the rules. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'd say, I mean, the point isn't so much that, um, I mean, for me, I mean, it's not like, like talking and renegotiating the rules. I mean, it's not necessarily good in itself if you're kind of, you know, I mean, the, um, you know, it's kind of like, I, I mean, the point is, for me, is that the content of those conversations yeah. do, in fact, matter. I mean, there's sort of, you right. know, I mean, there's sort of an impulse to say, well, you know, it's just on social media, you know, uh, why does it matter if, you know, for example, if this person is using a racial slur on social media, you know, why does that, why should we really care about that? And my point is, you know, I mean, these are, uh, I mean, another way people sometimes talk about it is, is using the term microaggressions, you know, the idea mm-hmm. that, um, which I think, you know, sometimes people who don't like the idea say, well, this micro means small. These are things that don't matter. Just small but the point is that, you know, that, that, that discrimination yeah. and um, prejudice and sort of like, you know, a yeah. society that's, that's hostile to certain groups, I mean, that's built up of um, small interactions. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's not, it's oh, not yeah. just, it's not just um, you know, laws saying, you know, black people can't get mortgages. Right. Example, you know, I mean, right. it's also, it's also, uh, you know, particular s- small interactions about, you know, not being served drinks mm-hmm. or, you know, being told that you're not in the right place right. or, you know, constantly, you know, or with the Ferguson, yep. right? Uh, you know, their Ferguson report. I mean, that was like, you know, I mean, constantly, I mean, that, that was with law enforcement, but, you know, I mean, it's, like this idea that you're just constantly being policed, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like these can be, um, you know, the day-to-day stuff is grinds you down and is how the sort of, I mean, that's sort of how the threat of sort of larger force is sort of made constantly present. Right. Well, it seems right? like the I day... Mean, I don't know. I mean, like, I think about, like, um, you know, Richard Wright's memoir, Black Boy, you know, is about... I mean, you know, I mean, like, there's there's sort of, like, moments of intense violence and fear. But, you know, it's also just about, like, there's all this petty stuff, you mm-hmm. know, about, you know, he can't get to, he can't go to the library, and he can't, you know, I mean, he, so he can't really read, you know, so he can't, he's not supposed to be able to go to read books, and, you know, I mean, people, you know, call it, you know, refer to him as boy, you know, I mean, yeah. like, it, it, like, yeah. Like so, there's so there's like I mean there's like just a web of this like small stuff, and then there's like these moments of like intense violence, um, but they go you know they go together. Well, they do because the small stuff you know those are little hits and hurts that might build up to the bigger violence. And talk about um, a little bit because some of this is is in context too, right? So for example, uh, you could go to a comedy club where people could easily give or do sexist jokes. You know, anti-Semitic jokes, racist jokes, 
and everyone's okay. And I guess it's mainly because the etiquette of being in the comedy club, I guess, makes that allowable. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's there's kind of different, um, you know, context matters, and you know, yeah, I mean, context. Um, but, uh, but then outside you know, of I mean, that, you can't I mean, do the same thing in school. You got to because that's a different set of norms, right? Out in the regular world. Yeah, it can be though. I mean, you know, I mean, the norms there are contested too. I mean, you know, um, I was writing the article partially about Trevor Noah's yeah tweets, tweets. yeah. Um, you know, and obviously he's a comedian, so you could say, well, in context, it's just a joke. Yeah, but... his intention wasn't, yeah, he was just joking. Right, but I mean, you know, the jokes are, I mean, you know, he was joking about how, you know, women who are not thin or ugly, um, you know, and that's something mm-hmm. where, you know, I mean, people, like, that's a constant social drumbeat that women's bodies need to look a certain way yeah. or, you know, or they are, or they're disgusting basically. So, you know, that's part of, yeah, you could say, well, it's just a joke, but you know, things that are just jokes kind of matter to how, you know, how people see themselves, how other people see them, yeah. you know, sort of. So even if he's how, being the comedian, you're saying he could still exercise etiquette. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I think that being aware of, you know, how people are treated and what that means is, you know, I mean, like, to some degree, like, I mean, etiquette is involved in, like, what's thought of as funny, too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, right. Um, you know, like, it's still okay in some, for some, you know, some people think it's still funny that, you know, women have bodies and... You know, they think it's like, okay, to like, you know, make fun of them, whatever those bodies look like, like that's that's etiquette. Yeah, you can objectify, yeah. I mean, it would be, you know, it would be, and you can see, you know, I mean, like people wouldn't find it funny if you made jokes about fat guys in the same way, right? It's not, it's like whose, whose body is seen as, you know, automatically fair game and Mm -hmm. that's, that's women and that's sort of like a system of etiquette and that. Well, it's and it's so real, and it, it, I really I think you're right. It's so pervasive too, and it's I mean some and, and, it, and it seems like it's it's kind of a rotating um, kind of evolution of this thought. Forever, it was okay to make a joke about a, a gay person, LGBT, whatever, and in the end, and, and now we're understanding that oh, that is different. And we I mean these people are hurting. We're hurting people when we do this. And so it's almost just like as a as a group of uh humans we're learning and we're learning how to do it. And then I mean interestingly then it, the the very people that I guess discriminated against um you know because of their religious beliefs will then will then uh you know as society shifts the norms and we we treat more people better, more people healthier I, then the next one seems like, you know, the ability or the right to somebody to have a religious belief without having it being laughed at. And, I mean, it is it's it is just a constant evolving process, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, I think that they that norms change, and they don't always change for the better, you know. I right. mean, I think there's people have a, people feel, or people like to think, you know, that, that there's, that there's constant progress, right? So that so that we're constantly sort of treating each other better, um, and it 
it's not Maybe necessarily not. true, you know, I mean, which is part of the reason that you kind of contest these things. I mean, um, you know, America's, uh, you know, post after the Civil War, right? Yeah. Um, there was a period of, you know, I mean, not perfect or anything, but there was a period of racial idealism and in a lot of ways and, you know, an effort to include black people in politics and, you know, I mean, there was where, where, you know, I mean, so there were social norms in a lot of communities that, you know, at least for to some degree treating black people as equal. And then we, then that went backwards. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, post post reconstruction, you know, Jim Crow, you know, that's when the system, the system of etiquette known as Jim Crow and violence, um, was established. So, uh, you know, I mean, part of the reason that contesting norms is is worth doing, and you know, I mean, it's because it isn't like you reach some point yeah. and it's all good. Yeah, they're like, I mean? ah, now we got it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, you can always like things can get worse. You no. know, I mean, and, and that that so true. You know, or the Nazis with 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 Jews, right? I mean, the, right. the pre before before the Nazis took over. I mean, there was some anti-Semitism in in Germany, of course, but I mean, Jews were not. It was not okay to treat Jews as second-class citizens and, you know, murder them Yeah, on a large scale. And, you know, then it was. It's <laughs> so, so, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And, and, and it, yeah, and it's not necessarily, I guess, because you, you can also see that it doesn't always rotate into a higher plane. Sometimes we're evolving into just a different form of the same. Just mm-hmm. We just take the discriminating energy and place it somewhere else now. Or and just kind of rotate it around. Um, well, no, I appreciate you, and I appreciate the 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 insight and just the just the discussion to start thinking about that that simple little idea that um, maybe maybe our lives are more about etiquette, um, and, and sometimes we could give each other the benefit of the doubt a little bit more. Um, to just uh, there's just a lot of people that aren't listening to the news and aren't following the Twitter feeds and. You know, they just go to work and put their head down every single day. So they may not be picking up some of the information uh, and even the evolution and social growth that's going on in this country. There are a lot of people that just aren't informed. And uh, there's a great quote by Napoleon that says, Never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by incompetence. Never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by incompetence. Um and I think in this world, we probably have a lot more incompetence than we probably do have intentional maliciousness. Uh, just some people don't have a clue. And I think there's a great point that uh, Noah did bring up when when you talk about social media platforms, it, it might foster uh, an incredible way for all of us to, you know, spew discriminatory comments and um, – not even know it. So maybe one of the other things we should do is sit back down and start making up some rules about what proper etiquette looks like online and uh, in the social media because, man, alive, we don't have a clue what we're doing there. We're going to take a break, my friends. Uh, Come back, continue a few of the headlines uh, in the news, and next hour we'll be getting into some rules for social media, things that you should be doing uh, with your kids, with your family, and, and what you should be teaching about the proper use of social media, um, you know, and etiquette around social media. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 
BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. The, uh, the, uh, the topic we were just covering, just etiquette, having some, just ha- being a good person, for heaven's sakes. Whether, you know, whether your intent is to discriminate or not, if you're being rude, you're being rude. And at some point, you know, in this country, we, we're all fighting for our rights so, so aggressively. But who's going to fight for responsibility? To stand up and, you know, do what you got to do that's healthy. Just because somebody communicates something, you know, um, on, a, on a Twitter feed or whatever, you don't have to respond. You don't have to name call. Just go to any of your local newspapers and read the comments about the stories and the articles, and you will see a lot of people exercising their right to speak. But along with our right to speak, friends, is a responsibility to be a be a good person as well. Be decent. You don't have to demean people to communicate. And if you don't know how to communicate without demeaning people, you're part of the problem. Now, you wouldn't know that, but if you have a lot of people that are taking you on, and I personally believe a lot of those people are online intentionally trying to get you to react so one of the rules, I just wouldn't react to these people, for heaven's sakes. The Soviet Union? Don't react to the Soviet Union. Don't react to them. Excuse me, Russia. They have a um, a department that of their, their cyber security, whatever uh, area of their uh, intelligence agencies. They, they, they go in and they have three people. They have a person who's for the issue a person who's against the issue and a person who's there to go after anyone who, you know, goes either way. Yeah. And so those three people working on any one question, any one issue going around and round to try to push certain political issues in country. Yeah. So as people get on the, uh, the Russian version of Facebook, I think it is, they, uh, they start having these discussions. And so they start going back and forth, just trying to fan this flame of either people for it or against it. And then one person tries to, uh, push people either way. Huh. So those three people try to just influence the conversation, influence the discussion and manipulate and take it a way that's more pro Russia, whichever way they want to go, whichever way the government is saying, okay, this is what we're doing today. Yeah. And those three people work all sides of the issue, trying to push it a certain direction. Huh. And so that some governments are actually doing this online because they know people have a tendency to get all polarized on issues, and so they're trying to use that energy to, to push domestic policy. That's you know what? That's think of that. That's the new influence, right? Now, now we're just gonna if you can influence the conversation online just by hey, what about this? Have you thought what about this? Have you thought about did you see this article? Just promoting all the things and, that you and, want. And I say it. Russia because that was the story I read. Mm-hmm. But you know this everywhere. is happening everywhere oh, yeah. because this is something that's well, China to, we know does it as well. They right? have some internet core as they call them. The US is doing it. Absolutely. I mean by the way, every major company is doing the same thing. Yes, right? They're so, trying to push their brand and marketing right. and yeah. So they're they're out there every time there's a bad discussion about some brand, they'll get on there and 
act like their grandma Jones from now at the first I misspoke with the Soviet Union, but they tried to do it in the media as they with newspapers, you know, the technology of the time. Uh-huh. And it's just evolved since then to new media, to using social media yeah. and the way we communicate now. But it's been going on for, you know, it's decades. Called, yeah. it's, 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 it's propaganda. Misinformation yeah. is it's propaganda. It's how governments communicate and how they uh, get things accomplished, <laughs> whatever their agenda may be. And what's funny, though, is that we we just – so it's us against these propaganda machines. I mean, you know what I mean? It's just you out there fighting a battle. But a lot of this, too, I don't you think there's just people online that just want to, you know, get your goat. They just want to yeah. get you. I think for some people it might be a release from the stress of the day, come right. home, start a fight, and go, ha I won, and walk away. Can you imagine that life? I mean, that's a pretty pitiful life. So if you're out there listening and you're driving home and you can hardly wait to get home to go – Make five people mad at you on a feed somewhere. That's, or or, or they may see it as a uh, aggressive discussion, and they like that. They like the debate. Other people see it as being attacked. Well, yeah, but so. even an aggressive discussion, especially if it if it always tends to break down into just name calling, and yeah. then it's really not a discussion. You no, just you've lost your uh, your way on that. The discussion goes a different direction, and no one's benefiting from. The activity, it's just turning into name calling. Yeah, that's huge. <laughs> this is um, – this, and this isn't new. No. And what I love about it though is it's we're, – we're talking about it, but we as people now have the same opportunity to go do the same thing that big businesses used to do and governments. I can go in and start influencing discussions. I can go start skewing and by, by sharing my view. The problem is most people aren't going in with that sort of – no. idea and in trying to get an end result of something yeah. positive they just want to vent and get out and so it really kind of turn it turns into sort of a toxic sort of place and uh-huh. some newspapers and some uh, websites have just ended comments yeah no t- totally or they make you sign in so you have to have your name uh, and attached, to, attached it, yeah. to it and so if you're going to be gutsy enough to have your name attached to it but then again, that probably diminishes it. But even – again, just go to your local newspaper and go see the comments section on any article and it will blow your mind. Like are you kidding the pettiness of yeah. some of this discussion? One person says, hey, really great job. Like you talked about that wheelchair example. The guest From yesterday, yeah. yes. They built a wheelchair for a 20-month-old and a three-month, three-year-old baby, uh, two boys and – just the comments were even just petty. Yeah, most of the comments were positive, and then one guy started commenting on how this is just going to lead to disaster. Right? What are you talking about? <laughs> and and all these people, you know, yeah. he says it, then all these people jump on him, and that was like the most activity on the feed. People are positive on things, and there's a few of those, but the most activity was this one guy and his negative comment. There's just a certain percentage of people that are going to play the devil's advocate. They're just going to play it. Yeah. And- I guess too they want to make a comment, but I guess that's the point is if you have if you have the right to have a voice, then you also have the responsibility to use it to edify, not always to make everyone happy because right. you can use your voice to to edify or to to have a counter argument. You can have a counter argument and you don't have to blow people up and hate people and be rude and you know and discriminate and name call. That's just – I mean it's interesting. And I think – isn't it weird that uh, the – like Noah Berlotsky was talking about, we do move people. Um, you know, the, we, we already have in, the, in front of us 
Uh, discrimination against blacks. We get that. So obvious. Discrimination against lesbians, gays, bias, trans. They're, they're so strong in advocating. Yes. But then this subtle discrimination against women mm-hmm. who are 50% of the population and yet they don't they don't have – I don't know. It just doesn't seem like they have – as strong of an advocacy, a voice, yeah, and, and yet why why would they need an advocacy? Yeah, which goes back to the opinion piece I read over the weekend about should we refer to her as Hillary, Hillary, or should it be Hillary Clinton, Barack? Yeah, yeah. And so there's it was an interesting discussion because yeah. the the bigger discussion is where are where's the voice of women when it comes to subtle discrimination oh. like this? Where you know you when you call someone oh she's a good girl. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's she's like 30. Yeah. That's not a girl. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And it, I guess, so what, so is that just an etiquette problem? Yeah. Is, is that just somebody that's not informed or do they actually see that person like a tiny little girl that they could use and yeah, do take they, advantage do, of? Do they view that person as less or is it just sort of a cultural normal oh. sort of comment to make yeah. in saying, you know, because people say things like you know, that girl I know and yeah. That I, yeah, woman, I, don't, it's, I know. It's yeah. it's interesting to, to so true. What's the meaning? What's the intent behind the comment? Are you belittling a person, or is it just something you say? And that seems like that's what you've got to figure out. And then at that point, do you change the behavior as we talk about the and etiquette learn. and learn well, so that they know that that's not correct? Well, I to think say. the more informed you are, the better. You, I mean, some of these things you just don't know. If you've lived in the middle of the country in a school district that has no, you know, minorities, you're you may not know. What you can say, what you can't say, and what what is just ignorance or even mis- misunderstanding hmm. could be seen as discrimination, and that's not that's not right either. Neither neither side of this argument is going to help this country to grow. We need education. We need information. It's goal of the show. We're going to take a break, my friends. Uh, do some headlines as well. Come back and uh, next hour get into some coaching corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side, doing what we can on this program, folks, to give you the tools you need to go create, go find, and make a good life, a great life. We got a lot of information for you. We're going to show you today, there's a lot of messed up people. It seems like a lot of times when you do the news, that's what you end up finding out. Yes. This in the news, more messed up people. But some of it's for our, our amusement. Yes, yeah, some of it's so you can laugh and think, ah, that, boy, I'm better than that. Some of it's just so you can know things are happening. Hmm. Like death, mayhem, murder. Not, not always, but sometimes it does go down Co- that direction. A car accident, a truck accident in Wyoming. How many? Yeah. I mean, that's like two or three last, pilots. Last week, there was, I think it was 70 cars and trucks and just oh, a mangled mess. And yeah. this morning, there was another accident. And we we're looking at pictures and there's just Crazy. another 50 cars and trucks. Don't go to Wyoming. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to like dissuade people <laughs> from Wyoming, but today's not a good day on the, the road. The Tourism Bureau of Wyoming calls us. <laughs> Knock it off. What are you saying? So um, headlines, what, what have we got going on? The Senate on Tuesday announced an agreement to move ahead on a stalled human trafficking bill. 
a development that should finally re, uh, result in the long-delayed confirmation on Attorney General nominee Loretta Lynch. Ding, ding, ding. So they're Done. finally moving on from that. The uh, I, I, Last hour we talked about the Koch brothers and how they're leaning towards Governor Scott Walker as their, their nominee. And then they came back and said, no, 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 not really, but we like him. He's a nice guy. Well, now they're saying the Koch brothers may not be settling on a Republican candidate as of yet. One day after the New York Times reported that the Kochs were getting behind uh, Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, a top Koch aide tells Politico, the billionaire brothers are going to give Jed Bush a chance to audition for the brothers' support. Wow. I guess that's good. They're saying Bush is getting a second look because so many Koch supporters think he looks like a winner. Interesting. So, yeah. You got to go and... uh, You got to have the money. So without the Koch brothers, you're kind of – you're just floating. And, and like I was saying, they, they, they've they uh, pledged or said they're going to pledge $800 million to this election. Mm. Someone is going to benefit. And Hillary says she's going to raise $2.5 billion. So if you got the Koch brothers, you're halfway there. You're halfway there. Huh. So uh, let's see here. We just – my pages are stuck together. Right. James was talking in the break a little bit about this. Molly Schuler, a 35-year-old mother of four from Amarillo, Texas. Yes. For the second year in a row, won a steak eating contest at the Big Texan Steak Ranch. It's a restaurant. Wow. She well, won a steak eating contest. Yes. For the second year in a row. In the female division or the overall division? The overall division. Wow, She's okay. a competitive What's, eater. What did she do here? Last year, she set, her, she set a record. This year, she topped it. Okay. She ate 13 pounds of steak plus sides in 20 minutes. Oh. That's three 72-ounce steaks, each with a shrimp cocktail, roll, side salad, and baked potato in 20 minutes. You're kidding. She weighs 124 pounds. She competed against eight others, including two professional wrestlers and two former Texas A&M football players. And the, the key there is just because you're big doesn't mean you can eat yeah. on a competitive level. Wow. She can put some food away, apparently. Yeah. Apparently. She was halfway through her fourth steak, her fourth 72-ounce steak, when time ran out. So that steak didn't count because she didn't finish it. Mm-hmm. Next year, she hopes to come back and finish the fourth steak. Why? She says a fifth steak is almost just unattainable. It's just too much food. I don't want to be morbid here, but I'm going to bet she won't have it next year. No, she will. No, she's going to – that steak's going to just – it's going to kill her. No, because the way they – the, I, I've, I've read some about how the competitive eaters prepare for this, and they, uh, they don't gain any weight. They just process it and move on. 13 pounds of food yeah. in your belly. In your belly. That's gross. That's how much I'm going to eat at James's wedding, by the way. Now, I ate at a, uh, a steakhouse in Texas. They had an all-you-can-eat feature that you could participate yeah. in. And for $13, I had... No, yeah, it was thirteen dollars. I ate twelve and a half steaks. Really? Yeah. Now they were seventy-two ounce. They were, you know, your what you would think of if you order a steak at a steakhouse and they bring it out to you about that size. So an average size, whatever that would be, like eight ounces. Yeah, and I ate thirteen of them. Twelve, twelve and a half. And you're still standing. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah, I went home. I didn't feel well after that. Went into uh, a food coma. Yes, I I did not. But I was I was proteined up. I did yeah. some push-ups. I did all kinds of stuff. I bet you were. Yeah, <laughs> your you muscles were healed instantly. Yeah. And at that point, you're just like you didn't bother with the roll. 
Because that would just take up room. Yeah, right. Because oh, yeah. bread expands. Why you don't want to do that. You, you want, and this was, you know, going against some uh, friends I was with. So you wanted to, to beat. And it was funny because they they're, they took their time. They were chewing their food, and I took the the steak, cut it to fours, and was done like in thirty seconds. And they looked at me and I go, "I'm not playing around. Oh, my heavens, <laughs> we're going to get this. Food. That's so dangerous. Yeah, I know. You can if you can drown if you can die because you drink too much water. You've, there's got to be oh yeah. There's got to be a, a protein protein poisoning poisoning. <laughs> like it was fun though. I won't do it again. That, I mean, uh, a lion when a lion goes and eats. Oh yeah. You know, it takes a, its time. It eats its fill and moves on. But it doesn't on. eat thirteen pounds. No, it was a total waste of time. Yeah, you probably ate, ate the equivalent of a small gazelle. Yeah, it was. Yeah, as far was, as meat is considered. Yeah. Yeah, because you're not going to eat the bones. So, no, no, no. I, I got my picture taken. It might even be two gazelles. It's on the wall of the restaurant, but still. It wasn't wow. like a record, but man. You know, I don't know, Terry, that I share that story. I do all the time. It just seems to turn a lot of people off. A Detroit zoo is looking to turn 400 tons of animal waste generated every year into thousands of dollars in savings. Uh, with what? Like a magic wand? The uh, Zoological Society of Detroit and the Michigan Economic Development Corporation have launched a crowdfunding campaign to raise enough money to build a biodigester, mm. which would turn all of that manure and other organic waste into methane-rich gas that could help power the <laughs> health complex, saving the zoo between 70000 and 80000 so a year. So the zoo will create gas yes. from its gas gases, from its waste. And uh, run, you know, the generators or whatever. From the the biodigester would also convert the manure into compost for mm-hmm. fertilizing the habitats, the gardens, and public areas. Of yeah. $55,000 is raised through the campaign. They will be able to uh, purchase this biodigester. Biodigester. And create their own power to power their facilities. You know, something else they could do if they took Bill Gates' technology is they could also sell zoo water. Right. If they filtered that out. That's not a bad idea. It'd be great. Just don't think about it. Just think of all of the – oh, that's fantastic. You have the energy. You have the compost. You have the water. Can you just imagine so like products. drinking like a lemonade in a, on a hot day mm-hmm. and then they're like this ice provided by water from our animals. Monkey water. Right? <laughs> Yuck. See? Yeah. I, don't think about it. I just don't drink wanna, the water. What, what zoo is that again? Detroit. Yeah, I'm not going to that. Too. <laughs> note to self: Don't drink lemonade. <laughs> uh, take a note, James. Do not drink lemonade. No, you're oh. you're a big fan of mac and cheese. Love it. Oh, homemade mm. though. Not like yeah, you got to have homemade. You like the homemade. Mm-hmm. Well, Kraft Foods is announcing they'll no longer use synthetic coloring and artificial preservatives in its original mac and cheese. So it's not going to have that weird yellow orangish color. Not natural. It's going to be more of a natural dull that they sell in Europe. Yeah. Because Europe doesn't allow. They're just going to sell the product they sell in Europe instead of the chemical creation they sell here. Well, my kids won't know what it is. Yeah, they'll be like, what's wrong with the mac and cheese? It's <laughs> See, but I, I never knew that as a kid because I just cover it in ketchup. I do too. So, though a lot of people think that's gross. No, I, because if you were going to make spaghetti with cheese, right, it's the same thing. They say the natural color alternatives will be derived from sources like turmeric, paprika, and uh, Atano? Anato? Another spice. Don't nobody got no Mr. Roboto? Mr. Roboto, exactly. Like it. So they'll use natural spices. William Shatner's uh. come up with an idea he says was a surefire way to save California from its drought. The digester. He wants to build a pipeline from Rangerant, Seattle to California. He wants $30 billion to build a pipeline like the Alaska Pipeline. 
And they're just going to pump their water down. He says it'll be a, a large four-foot pipeline above ground because if it leaks, then you're irrigating, yeah, right? Yeah. Then the water is used efficiently and, and responsibly. He plans to launch a Kickstarter in an attempt to raise the billions necessary for the pipeline. If not, he thinks uh, some politician will take up the cause. Interesting. Do you think um, William Shatner's the guy to solve the no, drought problems on the West Coast? I don't. I really, <laughs> really don't. But, you know, A for effort. Yeah, good job, Captain. Good job, Captain. Yeah, no. Just, William, just go do Comic-Con. Yeah, go do it. You sell, sell travel. Travel, yeah. Travelocity or whatever you do. Are are you for public displays of affection? Yes, you are. Okay, Matt, yeah. are you? Actually, let me just true story. I'm not. You're not for it. You're you're against. That. I was almost. Do you know where um, El Aqsa Mosque is? No, it's on the dome of the rock. Okay. in Israel, right above the Wailing Wall, there yes. is a very sacred Muslim site right there. All right. My wife and I were Uh-oh. walking on the dome on the top, not on the top of the dome. Right. We're thinking different things. Walking toward this mosque, not knowing we weren't supposed to hold hands, a public display of affection. Oh, okay. But you can't do that in the Muslim world, especially near their most sacred sites. And we about got shot. Okay. So, so you're against that. Uh, ever since then, I'm like, I'm very much against public displays of affection. Because it'll get you killed. <laughs> get you killed. In certain countries. This one study from Ohio State found that couples who are intimate both behind closed doors and out in the open tend to be more satisfied in their relationships than those who don't participate okay. in public that. displays. I, uh, that's they're, saying, they're saying the public display helps the relationship. Well, let's just say when you get shot in the back from the security guards at a mosque. I will die with a smile on my face. Actually, by the way, that's also a sign that you've probably been married a year. All these public displays. (laughs) (laughs) And then it says even just a few incidences of the PDA in front of prying eyes uh, is great for mental health and contributes to the overall happiness of the couple. I believe that. Another study out of the University of Utah found that when we've reached ultimate comfortableness with our partner, these behaviors are beneficial for our physical health, cutting down on high blood pressure, heart attacks, and diabetes. Hmm. I believe that. Don't you think? Like, you're happy. You're happier. And except PDA, when you have a child that sneaks in and sees some display of affection. Yes. It may not be good for them. No. They'll dry heave <laughs> and run to the door. They'll react in a adverse manner. Every time my wife and I kiss in front of the kids, you'd think we were, you know, doing something illegal. And they're all like, ew! What are you doing? That is so gross! Which is why we do it, because it's super fun to destroy their little fragile psyches. <laughs> um, I, that's interesting. But James, you're all for it, because yes. you're about to get married. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, at least for the time being, that's part of the thing, is people want to see that. They want to see that it's real, and you're just not going through the motions. Yeah, I don't want to see it. Neither do I. So if you could refrain. At your wedding, when yeah. we're at your wedding, if you could just not be too affectionate, like that is just gross. <laughs> so if you would do that for us, we'd appreciate that. Sorry, I can't, I can't do that. You can't You can't back it down, can no. you? No. It's like, it's like a nuclear reactor. Once you turn it on, once we're going. You can't turn it off. Yeah, overheats. We're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, we'll do a little Coach's Corner, talk about technology and uh, some rules and tools you need 
to manage, you know, all things technologically based, social media, Internet, how we can do it and build healthy relationships up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, in the next uh, few weeks, I'm doing a speech on social media and parents and um, how parents can connect with their kids around social media. And so I've been asked to kind of moderate a discussion. I've been asked to talk uh, with three uh, young adults, probably 21 to 25-year-olds, in a meeting. I don't know, 1,500 people will be there. So here's the deal. So in order to have this uh, discussion, I I contacted the people, asked them to come over to my house. We'd talk about it. None of them could make it. Uh, Asked them again on another day to come over and talk about it. None of them could make it. Just nobody could make it. They're very busy, very busy. They're all in college. Some are married. They're running around. So, um, so what am I supposed to do? And then all of a sudden I sat there and I thought, oh, how funny is this? Because this is why we, um, I guess in the end, this is why we all struggle working through social media with our teenagers because they can't talk. They're busy. We can't talk. We're busy. We have decisions to make. We have all of these things going on and it creates chaos in our relationships. Now, what are you supposed to do about it? Well, I thought we were just going to text and then you didn't answer and then I needed an answer. So I upped the ante and said, are you ever going to answer? And then it caused a fight and blah, 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 blah. Long and short of it, though, folks, is in the end, um, I met with these people and I actually just I didn't even meet with them. I just sent them the outline. Here's the questions we need to answer. And I want to have you guys help me. And I want I'm just going to have you answer questions and we're going to answer them. And it's going to be fairly simple, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, in all of this discussion, we came up with a really cool, I think, tool to help parents um, know how to communicate with their kids through social media. For example, um, I would let – one of the rules I use is I would let my kids use – teach me about technology. Your children know so much more than you do about technology. Do you believe that? Because if you don't, you're in trouble. They know what's going on. And in the end, just because they know what's going on doesn't mean they always know everything about how to use stuff, but they know how to figure it out. They know how to do it. So one of the rules I set forward with my young adult friends is we need to allow our parents to learn. And so parents, you need to step up and try to keep up with them in the social media world. A lot of you think you don't need to, but in the end, we all need to. And here's the reason why. I think on average, um, kids get text messages by the thousands every year, okay? And on average, the research shows that young women will open up about 99%, almost 100% of their social uh, media text or their text messages, 99%. So if you are trying to have a relationship with your kids – and those kids are really hard to get a hold of, you might really seriously want to figure out how to text 
if you're not very good at texting and you are a grandma, for example, or a grandpa, you got to learn to text. And I don't want to just, you know, beat the dead horse over the head, but your grandkids, they know how to text. And if they know how to text and you don't, it's going to create some problems for you down the road. So get involved. Grandparents, have your grandkids come over and let them teach you how to communicate. Let them start walking you through some of the very basic, you know, tools, ideas, suggestions for how we could talk, what we could do. Um, anyway, it's it's a pretty, pretty basic tool set, right? Another uh, great rule that was given to me as we were working with these the these young adults, it's, and it's a very basic rule, is simply the idea of um, make sure that the, the dangers are clear. Make sure as parents that you're not waiting for somebody to be hurt or harmed or have something happen. Make sure you don't just demonize these issues. Don't just demonize – all of the social media problems and the potential for being abused and taken advantage of. Don't just be mad at technology because there's an access to pornography. You can be as mad as you want, but in the end, you also need to know what are the dangers. For example, do you feel like you are very effective at monitoring what your kids are doing on their phones and their technology? Do you have some form of filtering system? for your kids and their internet use. Because if you don't, you can be, again, mad, frustrated, uh, unbelieving in in all of the things that is happening because of technology and all the problems that are out there. But the reality is you don't even understand how to protect against it. So go get informed. Go understand. Go to classes. Go find out what's um, happening and what's not happening. Go find out what we should be doing with our kids, what are the great ways and technology that we should um, we, that we could protect our kids from technology? What are the filters that work? Are there certain uh, you know things we can turn off on our phones so that we're not being geo-positioned everywhere we go, and then that's going out through our uh, social media? Well, Stacy's at this amusement park. That might not be a great thing to have your kids telling everybody in the world where they are at all times, and those are just little switches you can turn off. Here's another one. Don't uh, argue over texting. Duh. We don't argue over texting because it's, it's a less informative you know, vehicle for communication. If you're going to have a serious discussion, I'd try to do it face-to-face so you can pick up all the nonverbal cues, all of those, three, those things. I'd set very clear rules and boundaries around your technology. I'd have rules and etiquette, as we talked about in the last hour, about what we say on Internet, what we don't say who we talk to, who we allow, and who we accept uh, as a follower on Instagram. I have my kids come in all the time. Can I accept John's basketball coach as a friend of mine on Instagram? No. Do you know him? No. Then let's not, let's not do that. Um, we just set rules and boundaries. Do you have certain times that we, we, do, we just turn off technology where you have a, a technology break and you stop? Do you have certain um, situations? Do you have certain uh, opportunities like when you go to grandma's that we have rules that we just don't even bring the phones? Do you, do you take your, your phone to school? What are the rules? Have discussions. And sometimes it's not having the rule that matters. It's having the discussion about, about all this technology that's going to matter. Again, folks, technology is our friend. It's not our enemy. 
But in the end, we've got to start having these discussions and, and bringing up ideas. And I, I personally, and we'll get into this uh, after this break, we need to be very clear about what's totally inappropriate. So when you hear a news story about something that's inappropriate on technology, bring it up to your kids and talk about it. Folks, it's about being healthier, right? We all just need to be a little healthier. We'll take a break, continue our discussion about ways to increase connection and communication with your young adults and just teenagers as well. How to improve communication, even using social media. That's up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody. Let's get social with social media. And that guy kicks in at the end. Social. That's the theme from a social media conference. Anyway, it's a wonder social media even works with music like that, doesn't it? It's it's an interesting uh, little time of life when we have all of these mechanisms to communicate with each other. But it doesn't mean we necessarily are communicating any more effectively. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how hard it is just to get your kids together to do something. If you have children that have left, uh, that have, you know, married, moved on, gone away to college or whatever, it's, you can communicate, you know, you can text and, and get information, but there's a delay and sometimes it's not clear what's going on. So I've been asked to do a speech in a few weeks on um, social media and uh, actually to moderate a panel. And I've been talking a lot to young adults, um, teenagers as well, probably really from about uh, 13, 14, up to about 25 years of age. And I'm realizing, folks, they're in a completely different league when it comes to technology and social media. The stuff these guys know about, and you're still talking about Facebook, and they have so moved on from Facebook to Snapchat. Oh, that's a bad one. We all think that's a bad one. To then other uh, types of um, just activities and games and tools there's so many things that can happen. Yesterday, for example, I just visited with a client over um, FaceTime. So basically we Skyped it in and I sat there for an hour looking at my phone and Skyped in a, a conference with one of my clients. Now, that wouldn't have happened 10 years ago very easily. And now it's as simple as the very phone I carry every day. I can contact somebody and make my living off of it, right? I can make my living off of it. We have people making videos off of their phone, editing it on their laptop, and now all of a sudden uh, can have a living, can make a living as a a vlogger or a podcaster. So the, the tools are here. Do you feel like as an adult, as a parent, that you and your kids have rules and boundaries set around your technology? I'd have rules of when we turn the technology off. I have rules in our house for where the phones should be and where they shouldn't be. We probably shouldn't just have every kid with their own phone in their room. They don't necessarily need that. So we have rules around that. We have rules for, you know, at the dinner table and certain places when we turn them off. It's so easy to just fall into this these crazy little habits. I also ask the, the young adults and the teens, what, what else do you guys want from your parents when it comes to social media? And one of the biggest answers that I kept hearing a lot of 
was a simple concept of validation. They want validation. And when they when they talk about validation, they want to they're at a stage where they're trying to grow up. They're trying to be independent, and a lot of times as parents, we won't let them go. We don't let them go. We're we're not going to let them grow up yet. So we're kind of micromanaging them through, you know, our our text messages or through our phone calls. And what a lot of the students wanted or these young adults wanted is, can you just validate that I'm an adult now? Can you just access, understand and admit and, and, and allow me to just and acknowledge, I guess, that I have a position, I have an opinion, that I have dreams and I have ideas and I have choices? And you may not quite get them or jive with them or you may not like them, but they're mine now. It's now my life to live. So can you start to validate? And I heard a story about a mother-daughter that had been fighting for years. She felt like her mother was trying to control her, tell her what to do. The daughter just wanted to be heard. And um, the mother didn't like her dream. And the daughter had this dream. And she never told what the what her goal was or her passion was. Maybe it was music. Maybe it was whatever. Maybe it was a guy. But in the end, the mom finally realized she was actually losing her daughter and the daughter was no longer communicating. So the mom would send a text and she wouldn't answer back. So eventually they got together. They had a conversation. And in the conversation face-to-face, by the way, they simply actually talked. And the daughter said, this is my dream. This is my passion. And the mom's like, I don't understand it, but I can see it's part of what you're going through and it's real to you. And I know – I need to understand it more and accept it, so tell me more. And the mom just opened up and let this daughter tell her dream. And you validate it. To validate doesn't mean you have to agree with it, but you can at least acknowledge it's there. Another little rule they give is talk with us, not at us. Don't talk at me. You're no longer my parent that's supposed to tell me what to do at age 25. Talk with me. If you want me to answer, that's one of the interesting things about social media is there's a relationship going on here and we both have to benefit. And if one of us is only benefiting and the other's not, I'm not going to keep doing this. We both have to we both have to be benefiting as we go through the process together. Um, a really cool other idea that we came up with is um, a, a very basic idea, but um, Make it fun and chill out for crying out loud. That was basically their language. Make it fun and chill out. If you want me to want to be with you, you have to relax. You got to relax. A lot of times as parents, we're so intense. And that intensity on top of all the other stuff these young adults are trying to figure out in their lives, it's going to drive people away. And they told a story about how uh, one, one of the young adults said, man, my dad and mom would always take us on trips And the trips were great. One time they were at Disneyland, and it was so great. But she made this point that it wasn't going to Disneyland that made the trip fun. They left the park in the middle of the day. They went to an IHOP, and they sat at the IHOP for about two, two and a half hours. And as a family, they just ate, and they just talked, and they laughed. At the park, they were kind of stressed and busy getting from activity to activity. But they actually just sat down, and they just laughed and had fun. And this young adult says that was the best part of a trip to Disneyland was the IHOP. <laughs> the IHOP, by the way, which is just as expensive as the park, um, when and you're taking your family to it. But in the end, are you a parent that is that attracts your kids to you because you're fun? Or is every text that you send a text like more destruction, more death, more mayhem? We've got to figure that out, folks, because if we're not attracting them, 
then we're going to push them away. And if we push them away, they're going to go somewhere else. They're going to go to something else. They're going to get caught up in something else or someone else. One other rule that was really important that we talked about um, in preparation for this talk is simply sometimes you need to tag team your communication with your kids. Sometimes one of you may not have as much power as a parent as the other. So make sure that both of you are talking to each other and, and kind of working on the same goals with your young adults. So if the mom maybe is a little too stressed in a situation with the daughter, maybe she could have the husband or the father follow up a little bit later. If you're not in that kind of situation, maybe you can have an aunt that she's close to or a friend. One of the the people that are going to be doing the speech with me talks about he's not that close with his own family because his mom Facebooks all day long but never, you know, when she talks to him, she always kind of controls the situation and doesn't necessarily listen to him. But he talked about the fact that he he every day he talks to his mother-in-law for five minutes a day on the phone. And he loves it because it's five minutes and they're close and he can ask for advice and he loves it. It says he talks to his mom, you know, every month or so. So sometimes we need to tag team. Sometimes we need a friend or a neighbor or somebody that relates to our children and they might have a better chance to get some information to them and from them. Folks, don't give up on your kids, uh, no matter how old they are, and don't ever give up on the need to communicate and connect with them. We all need to stay connected. And if you're going to live in the information age, we've got to get some tools and some rules. Again, that's the goal of the show. That's the goal of the coaching segment we just did. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be visiting the the, uh, guys down at BYU Sports Nation. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. It's time to get social with the anthem, Let's Get Social, and social media. Who better to do that with than our great friends down at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem? Nobody more social than you two guys. Hello, gentlemen. Where are you finding this stuff? I found this one on your website, Spence. You did not. On SpencerLinton.com. <laughs> this is called, pump it up here. This is the big, this is the big drop. Social. What the heck is this? Who, who made this? What do you mean? Who made this? This is this is what we produce here at the Matt Townsend Show. Who made this? We found it on the interweb. It'd be really fun if it was some student employee in the building that you know felt really bad right now. Yeah. Or We're like who made this? That's the social media. That that's from a social media um, like a conference. That is the theme that they you know made. What that, you know what that sounds like? What? That sounds like... A bird? An attempt at a bad EFY song. <laughs> that totally does, doesn't it? <laughs> no comment. That, that totally does. Uh, EFY is a program, especially for youth, that uh, members of the LDS Church send their kids off and they sing it's a, songs It's a like summer that. camp on... Uh, on- it's a great. It's a great summer. Camp. Now I qualified that Camp-i. as an, at- an attempt at a bad EFY. Yes, song. exactly. No, exactly. Remember the promise. <laughs> <laughs> a remember who you are. Yes. Yep. See, oh, so so up, if I'm and then I went this, on a mission and was like the end. <laughs> if I'm getting this right, you didn't like that song then. I actually did at the time, but now I'm like okay. But you guys, <laughs> I've, I've remembered the promise since. So but you like the idea of let's get social, right? 
Let's get <laughs> Sasha. Swipe right, Sasha yeah. Media. Oh my heavens! Yeah. You know. Can't let you go. Is there a Tinder out. song coming out too? No, no. Okay, but I am going to be just so you know. I will be putting a music video to that song. So. <laughs> Here's right. the deal. I've got, I've got a, I got a story. I've got to tell you guys because when I heard it, I thought about you again. I don't know Naturally. why. I don't know why. Uh, Molly Schuler, 35 year old mother of four from Amarillo, Texas, mm-hmm. won the steak eating contest at Big Texan Ranch Steak Ranch yesterday. Wow. Guess how much she ate. Uh... How much steak do you guys think you could eat? Oh man! In twenty I, minutes, in plus sides, plus the sides. You got to eat the sides. Oh, Ben! Ben got something at. Where did we go in Vegas? That first we, went to, we just went to Outback. In was, oh yeah, we, was it we diphtheria, malaria? And he got a. How big was the steak? It was way too big. It wasn't like a twenty-four ounce steak or something. Oh wow! It was pretty big. Oh, 16. 15. He says 16. sixteen. He says okay, sixteen. And they were like, "Whoa, that's huge!" This lady. Uh, Ingested over 13 pounds of steak and food in 20 minutes. That's unhealthy. That's three. That's the understatement of the day. That's three 72 ounce steaks. What did she win? She won uh, a colonoscopy (laughs) (laughs) and colon surgery. She won. She won. I don't know what she won. Oh, she probably won. Oh, five grand. Is that worth five grand? Is she going to live long enough to experience that five grand? Here's the tragic irony her her surgery is going to be 20 grand. Oh my gosh! Hey, congratulations! You to just remove... paid for twenty five percent of your pending surgery. She was diagnosed as having a protein ball in her gut. Oh, oh. a thirteen pound ball of protein. Why? Just why? She competed just against. Why? She competed against eight others, including two professional wrestlers and uh, a cannibal. <laughs> what in the world? I know it's crazy. Against a cannibal, oh I, I don't know. I don't know if it was a cannibal. Love, that was I love cut that off. Matt throws a couple of fastballs down the middle and then just like beans you in the side of the head with something random. Like, okay, no, I'm that's totally a change up. Ow, my elbow! A cannibal! Oh, he hit me with a cannibal. What in the- <laughs> like I honestly, would you guys ever go do that? Walk into no. one of those places? No, just no. I mean, not even that one, but just one where eat the eat the fifteen pound hamburger. No. Would you do anything like that no. for a t shirt? No, for a t shirt. No. No. no, 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 no. Not now. I think the answer is no. You know what's interesting yes. about a t- yes. like the power of a T-shirt? <laughs> like if you're the guy, do you want to feel powerful in your life? Be the person that throws the T-shirt out to a crowd. Uh, you, you do not have more sway. Yeah. Uh, the average person, like you, Matt, probably talk yeah. to people and, co- and can persuade them and have oh, yeah. that kind of influence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sometimes. if you had a T-shirt when you did it. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. oh. People go crazy for a T-shirt. You know what I do? When I speak, because I speak all the time, um, I take my own shirt off and throw it out to the crowd. And, and then they're like... No, they throw it right back. Give it to me so I, I can cover it. my eyes. It's yes. the weirdest thing. They throw it right back at me. <laughs> and they're like, put your shirt on, tubby. I told this story to Spencer when we were on the rugby pitch on Saturday. <laughs> yes. By the way, I looked up those rugby words that you guys gave me mm-hmm. last time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, my therapist <laughs> says that was weird. Nice. Okay. So there was an injury during a rugby game, yep. and uh, I was shooting uh, some highlights. And so during that, I thought, well, I'll get some crowd shots. So a guy, you know, play has stopped. Um, so I shoot into the crowd, and all of a sudden the crowd goes crazy. And I was like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> this is cool. And then I turn it, you know, to the right, probably, you know, 20, 30 degrees, and they go crazy. Then all of a sudden there's this, this 
challenge between who's being louder between the two. Ooh. And then I realized, no, there's a guy injured on the field, and, and I'm bleeding. making the crowd miss it. And they can't <laughs> see around you. This is, no, oh, this wow. is bad. Yeah. You're so embarrassing. Yeah. And then I had an ESPN hat on, and they're like, ESPN's here for the rugby game. Like, cheer, no. cheer when the guy goes down. It's just a hat. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. It was that's bad. that's, that's like just oh, bad spirit. Seven. You need to go to spirit class where you take those spirit classes and learn how to be a cheerleader. Spirit, spirit classes. <laughs> Fired up. HSRL. Oh, I love that. You guys, you have so much in you that I didn't even know about. We've got to go more. It's a dangerous place to We've go. got to go deeper into our sessions with each other. We're hey, thinking about BYU Sports Nation the musical still. Are you? Oh, boy. Yeah. I want to be a part of that. Today, ask, today ask I would be about... singing bass because I woke up. You know what? You get that stingy feeling in your throat. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd, yeah. I would be the bass. Have you ever noticed after you eat 13 pounds of uh, steak that your your throat stings? <laughs> No, I've never had that sensation. Ask okay. us tomorrow, by the way, about uh, our new toy. Okay. Spencer we'll, brought a new toy. We'll write that, that we're down. Very that I did. The new toy. We've added something to the clubhouse for upstairs. O- for offset. What, yeah. do you, what are you guys talking about on your show if it's not steak? Mm. Tyler Haas is going to be in studio today. In fact, he's a bringing a present for the set. Ooh, We've this, been clamoring for a while. Oh, hey, could we have something from the game he set the record in? A record-setting wow. He's bringing gift. us something from that game. Is he really? Yeah. Plus, there were two players that uh, announced they're transferring, Frank Bartley and Isaac Yeah, Nielsen. I saw that. We'll tell you about the impact on the roster, wh- how much will BYU miss them. Cool. Uh, That's if good. at all, and what the scholarship situation is. BYU will whitewash their basketball team next year. There will be a brand new team. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, nine guys gone. Nine guys Nine guys gone. gone. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole new team at BYU. Mm-hmm. And we're going to win, right? Absolutely. And that's our Twitter question. Are they going to be better or worse than last year? They'll be better and... A uh, 13-pound steak uh, contest. Holler! <laughs> never. Oh, okay. Never, 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 never. Boys, have a great show. Okay, Matt. Thank you, sir. Remember thank who you are. You. And don't Remember overeat steak. The and we'll, we'll keep trying to bring you those those top hits. Okay. Heck yes. Remember, social media. Let's stay social. That's good. See you, boys. Be good. Have a good show. Bye-bye. That's cool. Yeah, they're not they're not big uh, co- you know, competitive eaters either. Apparently not. I mean, I would compete on something, not steak. How much money would you need to have up for, uh, like, the prize for such a contest? I've been for in a pie-eating contest, and that was miserable. Because once you snort pie... <laughs> yeah, I know. Once you've had pie up your nose, you can't eat it any other way after that. <laughs> no, it's horrible. And so then that turned me off of anything like that. But I, I would do it... Would I do it for charity? No. But I would do it for thirty grand. Five thousand isn't enough for you? No. I'd go have the I'd go do the contest. I'd probably down a seventy two ounce steak and a, one more bite and then I would probably be throwing up. Yeah, you'd die. There's yeah. just too much food. Yeah, that's not good for you. No. But and, she the woman that did it weighed one hundred and twenty four pounds. She's a mother heavens. of four, I think. Okay, but so just think of this. so she's fit, she's but you put thirteen pounds. Yeah. Of stuff in your stomach. Yeah. You've got to look messed up if you're 120 pounds. You put 10% yeah. of your body weight into your body. <laughs> in 20 minutes. Into one place. You didn't spread it out. Yeah. You would have to see a visible yeah. lump of She'd food. She'd look pregnant. Yeah. With a protein ball. Well, that's yeah. bigger than a baby. I mean, yeah. no, it is. that's no. huge. If you have a 13-pound baby, you're hating life. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah, but I'd rather have a 13-pound baby than a 13-pound protein ball. Well. Yeah. Did you just say, well? Well. Well, well I don't know. <laughs>
That's kind of awkward. So what did you guys learn today? This is a big show. Lots of stuff. We talked about A.D., the Bible, uh, what's it called? Continues. Continues. Part two. Part two. Part deux. We talked about... Revenge of the Fall. Oh, wait. I was just going to start throwing all kinds of movie yeah, no, titles in there. No, no, no. That actually worked. No, that was actually a real movie. The Bible, movie. Revenge of the Fallen. And we had Eric Huntsman, uh, who's a BYU professor in near ancient, near ancient, uh, or near ancient studies. Yes. He also knows Latin and Greek. And Man, that guy knows. He's smart. We may want to keep him around. I like him. Find a different topic to yeah. discuss with him because you know, he's good. Something that I really like that he said that wasn't necessarily related to the topic of the Bible, but he mentioned how he liked how reading is an immersive creative experience. And he said that how there's kind of a danger uh, nowadays that because watching movies is a passive creative experience. Uh-huh. But he said he liked reading so much because it's an active, you have to go involved, yeah. reading, uh, creative and, and immersive. You're, yeah. you're in deep. Do you, how come I never? Because I just I did a bit there for about twenty minutes. Did you uh-huh. take notes like that on mine? No. You, you, you were just talking about social media. Yeah. If it, I'm already a pro. That's interesting. Yeah. Because I don't have a, a, a. I'm not a parent. I don't have a child that I have to worry about. So that's yeah. not what your wife said. She said, you are her child, your fiance, just to worry about you. That's, she called me and just said, yeah, I'm glad you shared that with me. I'll try to give that to James. Well, I'm glad. Well, that's good. She's, she was the one taking notes, so I don't have to. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's good. <laughs> Did you take notes on anything I said? No. I was consulting with the rest of the staff. Wow. By the way, I met a fan last night of the show, and she can't get enough. She's like, Seriously. I get every podcast. Of our show? Of our show. Wow. So someone's listening other than your mother. Well, you know, we have to acknowledge that my mother does listen. Your mom's the bomb. Uh, It was a great show. We did it, folks. We did it. Well done. And nobody died. We'll be back tomorrow, my friends. More ideas, more tools. Remember the goal of the show? Help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier, happier life. Go out and uh, find the good life. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, stay strong.